scientist named Frankenstein made a monster by sewing together parts of old dead bodies. You have to read that stuff. Wait a minute. Frankenstein gave the monster eternal life by shooting it full of electricity. Some people claim it is not dead even now, uh -huh. just dormant. <laughs> now, who'd be silly enough to believe that? <laughs> <laughs> Who would be silly enough to believe that? <laughs> Me. Back. It's the Skeleton Crew, episode uh, 90 something, and this is the Abbott and Costello meet the Skeleton Crew special we've been talking about for over a year. I think we mentioned we're going to do this here and there, but we're finally doing it. It's uh, Abbott and Costello meet the horror monsters. They made five movies where they intertwined themselves with horror, and we're going to talk about them all tonight. We have a full panel. As always, joined with me tonight is Jamie Jenkins. What's up, I am excited to be here. I'm I'm always excited to be here, but we have a guest, and that makes it to get. We have we got a full house. Exactly. You know, uh, I'll save the best for last. So clearly, we'll go to Dave right now. Dave Z. <laughs> 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 Just kidding, buddy. Dave Dave Z from Banana Laser. What's up? Hey yo, great to be here. Thanks once again for having me on, and I'm excited too because this is my first first ship, first time ever being involved with Dave and the Costello. So this first is first time. Wow, yeah. that's yeah. that's exciting. I've been there for a lot of your firsts, Dave. I know, right? Yes. Too many to name at this point. Shit. First time I got his Red Wing. <laughs> I wasn't there for that. <laughs> and uh, might I add, dude, Alex, you're fucking crazy, man. Jump in okay, there, son. Okay, Dracula. Okay. <laughs> I'm not going to dive face first in it by any means, but, you know, fucking Christ. The blood is the life, Renfield. <laughs> and uh, you heard him already. Here he is, Ryan Lewis from Grave Shift. Radio, Ryan, what's up? Thanks for heading over to the dungeon. What's going on, man? It's about fucking time. Yes. Uh, you know, we're heading to 100, and, you know, we always start a Ryan, and then, you know, it's always like we're always getting boggled down with other stuff, and, oh, we can't, you know, do this, do that, the other thing. So I said, you know what? Can't go without Ryan. I said, dude, what do you think about Avin Costello? Luckily, he was way into it. I guess he's already seen these. Now, all, all you guys, do you are you all fans of Abbott and Costello in general? I am. Yeah, I've always been into Abbott and Costello. Frankly, out of these movies, before this, I've only seen a couple of them. Yeah, obviously the Frankenstein one, and I saw the Mummy one as well. But other than that, I didn't see the rest of them. And uh, yeah, but I always enjoyed them. Yeah, well, it's new to me. This is the first. I never had an interest in them, and... Growing up, they were always on TV Saturday and, like, Sunday afternoons and shit, along with the others, Laurel and Hardy and uh, Three Stooges, and just 
I just had no interest in anything black and white when I was young. It just didn't appeal to me. And for some reason, I liked the Honeymooners for whatever reason that resonated with. And Twilight Zone. Well, yes, and then the Twilight Zone, and that that began it. But uh, from a comedic thing, I never had an influence. It just never influenced me. I know my father fucking loved them. You know, he's seen them all. I asked him last week, I go, Dad, you, what do you think about Abel and Costello? Because we are doing this. And he was like, oh, I've seen every movie. I've seen this. And, and then, you know, he got into this conversation. And so it was my first. So I'm, I'm glad I started with them. And uh, I'm glad you turned me on to them. They did 36 fucking movies. I had no idea. Yeah. yeah. In a very short amount of time, too. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a perception that hopefully nobody has. Um, that it's old, it's black and white, it's from freaking, what, 75 years ago or some shit. And, you know, you, it, it's easy to say to yourself, eh, I mean, come on, man, the jokes are fucking old, it's probably corny shit, these jokes wouldn't make you even smirk today. But that's, it's pretty much the opposite. I mean, these guys were so good and so on point, and their timing was so perfect, and their <laughs> chemistry is unmatchable, that... <laughs> No, it still works. Why are Why are you laughing? <laughs> I was just thinking about when I was watching these in preparation for this. I I was laughing like a goon yes. through the whole thing. I'm just like ah, and I would even text you. I'm just like ah, I'm laughing my ass off. And Brian was getting a kick out of me because he was watching it with me, and he thought it was hilarious that I was just laughing my ass off. <laughs> And so, um, I mean, and it's been a long time since I've watched any Abbott and Costello at all, and. And especially these. And so I had not seen all of them. I had seen Frank. I had seen The Mummy. and uh, But I had never seen Jekyll and Hyde. Or Killer. And, or The Killer. Or what was the other one? Invisible Man. I've actually seen that one. I had seen that one. Um, but the whole time I'm just watching it, I'm just laughing. I mean, and these are jokes. Some of these are softballs. I mean, like, you you know what the end is going to be when they set up the joke just because, but it doesn't make it any less funny. At least to me, I'm, I was having a great time. Yeah, no, me too. And, uh, you know, these are the, the Abin Costello meet Frankenstein was the turning point in my horror life. I wouldn't be sitting here today without that movie. Um, growing up in the eighties, you know, your cousins and all that, your friends, they always had one, Friday, one Halloween movie, one this, one that, maybe two or three, who even knows, they were just random, we didn't put much thought into them, the only Friday I owned was part two, and I used to watch that, and that's about it, I never even had any with the hockey mask, like, that's how little we truly dove into it, but I always poked around in horror, I liked the movie House, and stuff like that, and, you know, a couple other ones here and there, but Cat's Eye was one of my favorites, and fucking, you know, like, Tales from the Dark Side, the movie, and, like, that was it, like, I really didn't go too far with horror and then all of a sudden my dad we were in the mall and he we walked in this sh- store called suncoast that's it used to be a store called that and there was tapes and he goes wow they they made this and it was abacus telling me frank sign and the way he looked at it like it was the most amazing thing in the world and i was really impressionable at like 13 14 and i was like what's that and he's like, man, this is the best movie ever, blah, blah. And we watched it, and from there, I was just completely hooked on both Abbott and Costello and Universal Horror Monsters. And that was my big thing into horror. So that led to this. So I'm grateful, as you can imagine. So um, what do you guys think about the idea that, you know, the Universal Classic Monsters always did their thing? Abbott and Costello did their thing. Towards the end of both of the runs... They met together and finished together. So all the Universal Monsters, their last stop 
was always when they met Abbott and Costello. How do you feel about that, uh, that they did that? No, it's it's actually quite uh, interesting in a way. I mean, the Universal Monsters did make their way into it, and you don't feel that more than in the uh, Meets Frankenstein episode. Once it gets to the mummy and everything else, it's different incarnations of them. But at the same time, you know, it's the same, I don't know, what am I looking for? Uh, ballpark, we'll say. But, you know, the fact that uh, these two big giant run things joined in the middle just to end you know it's it's kind of synchronicity it's it's interesting it's a great idea and i want to know who came up with it but but wow i mean because they put them together they probably never knew that they were going to make five movies they probably just said hey let's let's do this especially with the first one because the first one was more universal monster than any of them and it had the people from those movies directly in it so they probably just did it say hey let's check this out but what a smart idea because really there was no horror comedies at least to my knowledge maybe there was before this i can't really say for certain it's not my area of expertise this time era so um they what a great idea to put them together and it paid off in spades because look they kept running with it uh their the original idea was to do a broadway show with all those monsters and Evan Costello. And then they just, you know, that, that was in talks for years. And they were going to do it live. And then they realized it's just too much, too much stuff, too much, you know, backdrops, too many costumes, too much makeup. And it just wouldn't uh, work. <coughs> so then somebody got, you know, said, hey, let's just put it in a movie. They did it. And it was gold. And from there, it started a whole s- string of movies. And uh, most of them are pretty strong. And so uh, we'll get into that. So uh, we'll be right back. We're going to get into the first one, 1948's Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein. We'll be right back. Count Dracula sleeps in this coffin, but rises every night at sunset. Chick is right. This is awful silly stuff. The nation's top comics, Abbott and Costello, petrified, but hilariously. Plus the dangerous and terrifying Wolfman, played by Lon Chaney. Plus that fiend out of a nightmare, the vampire Batman, Count Dracula, played by Bela Lugosi. Plus the most dreaded creature of them all, the Frankenstein monster, played by Glenn Strange. Alright guys, here we are. The movie that changed my life, Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein, 1948, starring Bud Abbott, Lou Costello, Lon Chaney Jr. as the Wolfman, Bella Lugosi, the original Count Dracula, Glenn Strange as the monster, Frankenstein's monster, Lenore Aubert as Sandra Mornay, Jane Randolph as Joan Raymond, the insurance investigator, uh, Frank Ferguson as McDougal and Charles Bradstreet as Dr. Stevens. The world of freight handlers Wilbur Gray and Chick Young is turned upside down when the remains of the Frankenstein monster and Dracula arrive from Europe to be used in the House of Horrors. Not to be confused with that show. <laughs> Dracula awakens and escapes with the weakened monster, who he plans to re-energize with a new brain. Larry Talbot, the Wolfman, arrives from London in an attempt to thwart Dracula. Dracula's reluctant 
aid is the beautiful Sandra Mornay. Her reluctance is dispatched by Dracula's bike. Dracula and Sandra abduct Wilbur for his brain and recharge the monster in preparation for the operation. Chick and Talba attempt to free to find and free Wilbur, but when the full moon rises, all hell breaks. <laughs> they wrote that. In this movie. <laughs> all hell breaks loose <laughs> with the Wolf Man, and these motherfuckers go nuts. <laughs> and in all running, ra- yeah, they really wrote that. <laughs> and in all running, ra- <laughs> hey, I mean, why stop there, right? So uh, <clears throat> Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. Where do you begin, Jamie? Who is in the opening scene of this movie? Uh, Larry. Larry Talbot, thank you. (laughs) I was stumbling (laughs) over my words. Yes, and I was watching to see if he would grab his hair while he was... (laughs) 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 Which I didn't see him do in this movie. I didn't... If he did, I missed it, but I was trying to pay attention to see if he ever grabbed his hair, and I didn't notice that. (laughs) That right off, though, I think... uh, What I love about these movies is that, um, at least in... The first couple, and then it sort of changes as you go down the line. But in you get this really cute little opening animation uh, it, to the when the opening credits, and they have the they have the two caskets, like the Abbott casket <laughs> and the Costello casket casket, and the little Costello casket is like short and fat, and so it's like a fat skit. <laughs> <laughs> fat skit. <laughs> I love those little opening anime because it starts with the classic Universal logo and then the dun dun dun, you know, the classic Universal music. And then it switches to this cute little animation. So, right even from the very beginning, you get a melding of the Universal, the classic Universal stuff and the Abbott and Costello stuff, which I enjoyed. And then, yeah, as soon as Larry hits the screen, he's my favorite. So, I'm just like, I was so excited. And I love that about this movie is that this is like, Maybe they didn't realize they were going to make this many, and I think that's probably true because they pretty much blew their wad in the first one. You know, you had all the big ones um, in like three major big daddies in this first film, which was really awesome. Yeah, they did this a lot. It was called the Monster Rally. They always had Frankenstein, Dracula, and the Wolfman. It was never as fulfilling because uh, the Dracula was played by um, John Carradine. You know, he did good. He has a powerful voice and all that and a lot of presence. But I don't know, man. You just always wish Bela Lugosi was Dracula at the time. So this actually got it right. They hired him under protest. They didn't want Lugosi again, believe it or not. And what? They had a, a... Why would you not want him? He right. is fucking Dracula. Wow. They didn't, man. Nobody can stand oh, there with their cape in front of the face quite like he does. And then except when Costello is doing his impression which is so cute when he's just yeah. like he's he's like he's standing there like this and then the monster's walking like this and yeah. yes, master he thinks i'm dracula <laughs> yeah that's what you say when you tricked a gigantic monster a lumbering monster he thinks i'm dracula okay because that's important to point that out right now right and not just continue to trick him <laughs> ryan you're a fan of uh the the meta horror like you know scream and cabin in the woods and stuff for the most part yeah so how amazing is it that in 1948 they made the first meta horror movie like literally saying it's the uh it's like uh, dracula's legend and and they're in a house of horror they're like referencing them as if they were character like but here's a weird thing they're almost not right because they said the the remains of the right, original right they were saying these are the actual remains of dracula this is the actual frankenstein's monster right so i guess it's not really meta right no it's not meta 
at least. No. They're referencing them, but in the real way, I guess. Right. This is honestly supposed to take place in that world of the Universal Monsters. See, I like the fact that they have the you know the little placards and their you know that have the history of what these creatures are, and they they are acknowledging that these are historical figures, and uh, because it always bugs me when like say for instance take the Munsters, okay, and in all the 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 years of watching the Munsters. Everyone freaks out when they see Herman Munster. Not one person ever said, oh, my God, it's Frankenstein's monster. Right. And no right. one ever made that connection. And I'm like, you're like you you have to know <laughs> you have to know what he looks like. Do you not get what he looks like? But they completely ignored the the whole universal world and that that had even taken place. And that always irritated me as a kid because I'm like, that's Frankenstein's monster. That's what he looks like. You know, but I like that in these movies, they're like. Um, yes, this is the story of Dracula, and he really existed. And this is these are his remains, and so they they uh, they grounded it in some you know historical elements, and then took it from there, which I I thought was a really nice thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and a lot of people, uh, well, like Ryan said, this is part of the universal universal world. A lot of people argue it's not. And one of the reasons they do is there's timeline problems, there's continuity problems. Um, <clears throat> the last Universal horror movie was, you know, with these guys, is uh, House of Dracula. And at the end of House of Dracula, Lon Chaney gets shot with a silver bullet. Dracula gets, you know, sunlight exposure and turns into a skeleton and dies. And the Frankenstein monster dies for the 50th time. So there's no actual explanation to how they even are here. In all the other movies, they kind of like, except for the one. What was the one where the Wolfman actually got cured of being a werewolf through surgery? Mm. And then he was a werewolf in the next one again. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, maybe this takes place before the last movie. Right. Well, 40 years later, we, we've come – they didn't go any further. Look at the fucking – the Friday and the Halloween franchises. Yeah, that's very <laughs> There's no continuity there either, you know? Same old shit. They attempted it, just not here. They just said, we're not even going to explain this. They're all here, and that's, that's the way it is. So that that's some people uh, have a problem putting them together that for that reason. The, the movie starts off where they go to the House of Horror, and they're delivering these two uh, crates – they're opening the crates, and Dracula gets out of one of them. Abbott goes to get the other crate, and he hypnotizes Costello and, uh, you know, hides from Abbott and stuff like that. Like, that has to be one of the greatest introductions to any... I think the introduction of Dracula in this film, him coming out of the coffin and him sneaking around, I think it was more intimidating in this than it ever was in the original Dracula, frankly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I agree with that. In the original Dracula, you know, you get to you get to thrill as he walks upstairs for five minutes at a time. You know? <laughs> I, I I personally prefer the Spanish version of Dracula to to the one that we know as the Universal Dracula, just because it in in, in the original film a whole, not a whole lot happens, and it's just it's it's not all that scary. But I think there are moments here where it could 
you know, I mean, and it's a lot of it is Costello's reaction, which is so classic. You know, he and this runs throughout. He's always the one to see the monster. And then when he tries to, it's like Snuffleupagus, when he tries to prove that the monster exists and Abbott comes back, there's no monster. And so he looks like an idiot. You know, the can- when the candle moves and he's like, the candle moved. And then he's like, does it look like it's moving to you? He's like, well, no, but it did. You know? <laughs> and, and not only that, he always seemed to get the hot chicks. What's that about? Right? Oh, yes, yeah. Yeah. I got to tell you, he is adorable. I always had a little bit of a crush on Lou Costello because he's so cute. He's just he's got this baby face and he just looks like a really congenial guy. And um, well, it's fortunate you're on the skeleton crew because he's a skeleton at this point. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, that's fighting words that? for Alex. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> One thing I love about this, what the introduction is when um, Dracula finally does get out of the coffin, you know, because we have that whole play for for several minutes where uh, he's like the, the coffin creaks open, his hand comes out, Costello sees the hand, and then he does his little freak out thing, and then you know, then he the coffin closes again, and then but when he finally does get out, and you see him sort of um, Dracula. It's funny to me because he doesn't care if Costello sees him, but then when he sees Abbott coming, he sort of starts to sneak toward the back, you know, and I'm thinking, how does he not see him walking away when Abbott walks in? How do you not see that guy right there? He's walking right there. I'm looking at him, but he, he didn't see him. And then he sort of does that thing where he's hiding with his with his cape over his face in the corner until Abbott goes away, and then he comes back uh, when Costello is alone. Right. And- <laughs> I, I got the impression is from Jump the second he saw him, the second he – came out of the coffin he was like this is the guy whose brain i'm putting in the monster now he didn't know though because remember later on he goes oh this is wilbur i must say i approve very highly of your choice like he just realized costello's an idiot but he didn't realize that wow we actually got him perfect you know like that is what he realized along the way and that's I, i love that their lines still to me i mean like i said i was laughing like a goon from the very beginning like before we even get to the house of horrors when um, when they're talking about the delivery that's coming and all of that. And then he's talking to this woman and he's like, frankly, I don't get, I don't know. She's like, frankly, she's like, frankly, I don't get it. And he's like, frankly, you never will. <laughs> and I'm, I'm laughing hysterically because it's like, that's not, it's not, it's not a new joke, you know, but his delivery is so funny that it's just like, even if you know the joke, it's still funny. Right. And even the physical comedy with the whole d- package is standing up. This whole crate is standing up all huge and him climbing on top of this thing and rocking to make it knock over. Dude, I was rolling, drinking a beer, spit it at my screen. <laughs> yeah, that was a great scene, wasn't it? Yeah. And how Abbott is just thinks this is perfectly normal that a guy goes to the top of a crate, ties ties a knot on a handle, and just stand there while I pull it down. Like, he's just as fucked up as Costello, but it's like he's unaware of that idea. Right, and they finally pull it down, it just smashes on the ground, and they look right at the guy, okay, you want us to deliver it? <laughs> no, you idiot. You're going to take that to my house of horror, because if that's the way you handle things, I'm going to have a... And I'm going to be standing there when you unpack it, and if it's damaged at all, then blah, blah, blah. And... <laughs> Hey, why was Dracula hiding? I wanted to bring that up while we were talking about it. Why would he, when, when the candle, the whole thing with the coffin and, and Lou and then Bud and going back and forth, why was Dracula, why would he come out and then hide again? If he's Dracula, why would he just come out and fucking kill him right away? 
Well, it'd be one of those things. Number one comedy. Number two, put yourself in Dracula's shoes. Who, who, who knows how long he was sitting in that coffin? What's the world like now? Who knows? Yeah. You know, you got to learn your surroundings before you go all fucking crazy. <laughs> yeah, I can buy that. Okay, all right. Yeah, definitely. Yep. He re-energizes the monster with this little kind of thing he puts on the bolts on his neck. He gets up. The monster's like half fucking... Yeah, what, what, what is what is up with that? Uh, did he have like he had like some sort of portable electric? I don't even know. I want one of those now. What is? Right, <laughs> right. Charge my fucking cell phone halfway through. <laughs> <laughs> what logic did they write that in with? But it's just like it's crazy. So they both escape the house of horror, and obviously McDougal thinks you know those are exhibits. He's wondering where the fuck they are. And no, they're gone, dude. So these these two assholes get locked up. They go to jail. We don't really see that. The next day, they're in a I guess hotel of some, or unless it's their house or like I don't know how it could be because the Wolfman shows up and takes a room across the hall. I don't know. I think they live in the hotel. That's just oh, okay. That's the, that is where they live, but it just happens to be a hotel. Oh, they live there. Okay. Yeah, I noticed that, uh, and they did that in this movie and in others. I was always a little bit unaware of their living. Um, their their situation. Sometimes I couldn't tell if it was a hotel, an apartment, and if they lived there or not. That seemed to be a recurring thing in the series. It is interesting. Like you never really know where they are, how they got where they are in life. They look like two kind of con artists or something who are always trying to get over. I kind of get the impression that they're kind of that they're transient. You know that they that they probably move around a lot. They have a lot of different jobs. They you know and they they're always together. Um, so they're just like two buddies who they, f- they find a place, they get a job, they live in a hotel and they probably don't stay there for very long. As it turns out, they probably get fired a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's face it, so. they fuck up a lot. Yeah, right. <laughs> I wonder why, right? But I do enjoy in this series that they stop eventually giving them names and just say, okay, you're Abbott, you're Costello. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And the, the mummy, they just say straight and they even say. They say Bud and, and – yeah, yeah, right. One says Bud Alexander and Louis Francis. Right, and then, you know, he gets scared and he starts screaming, Abbott. You know what I mean? Hey, Abbott. You, yeah, you actually get <laughs> yeah. the like, hey, Abbott. <laughs> Which, you know, in, in the previous films, you get chick, 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 <laughs> or whatever the, the appropriate name is. Um, you know, with the – well, yeah, we, talk that, we talk about that when we get to the mummy. But – um. Uh, yeah, the mummy. Speaking of the mummy, in that movie, they they're credited as having different names, but right. they call themselves Bud and Lou on the screen. Right, yeah. exactly. Isn't that weird? Freddie something and right? yeah, that's what I was gonna say. They're Pete Patterson and Frankie Franklin. Yeah, in the credits, uh, but they never once use those names within the film. Yeah. It's always. <laughs> You know, Bud and Abbott and Lou and you know. right because we as the viewer we are not going to think of them as anything else. It doesn't matter. Right. So I guess at that point they were just like that. Fuck that. We are Abbott and Costello. Right. Well, yeah. one reason they might have done that that's their last movie with Universal. So they probably said fuck. Let's just go out with our name. Who gives a shit? Mm-hmm. That's what I was going to say too. Is that, that maybe they were in, in originally supposed to have those character names and then they just said you know what we don't give a shit anymore. This is our last movie. Fuck it. Yep. You know I don't know. That's what I think. You know what? When they did Invisible Man, their names were Bud and Lou in the credits, though. Well, here's the difference. Their names were Bud Alexander and Louis Francis, and that's their actual middle names. Right. Instead of their last names. Interesting. So they kind of, yeah, they play with their names a little bit in these movies. Hubby and Slim. Oh, yeah. That's my favorite. (laughs) Yeah, they said, let's just go with what we look like. (laughs) That's good. 
So the Wolfman shows up and he says, you know, I follow Dracula all the way from Europe because I know he's going to revive the Frankenstein monster and I'm here to stop him. How does he know this? I've, I've always wondered this. I've seen this movie about 20 times and I'm like, okay, you're the Wolfman and all of a sudden you're on a personal crusade to stop Dracula for giving a mind to the Frankenstein monster so they can dominate the world. They're going to rule the country and the state. <laughs> <laughs> uh, reference to our old October shows. Awesome. Yeah, I think he's a good guy. I think it goes back to us having to be sympathetic with the, the Larry Talbot character. Right, which is why he's my favorite. He's always been my favorite. Right. Well, the answer will most likely be that, you know, he's already been in two movies with these guys, he's seen their antics and bullshit that they go through. Uh, he's he's right there, right in the you know, right in the lab with him, and um, he knows what the monster has you know is capable of, what it does, how it's pretty much evil, and he keeps telling people you know they're, they're focusing on the monster, not me, and all they do is this and that. So I don't know, maybe he just uh, got tired of always just wanting to kill himself, and he felt there was a greater good, a better reason to be alive, I guess, and to stop these guys, and I don't know, I guess he's just in that circle. So that's how he he knows. I don't really know. They never really explain how he knows that. Little did he know he was going to have the best costume at the masquerade ball. Right. right. <laughs> the most authentic costume. Oh, <laughs> dude, yeah, I've got something to say about that scene. Okay. <laughs> okay, he's telling everybody at this thing, okay, in a half an hour, the the moon is going to rise, and you got to chain me up. you got to chain me up or lock me away, and then... Everybody goes about on their adventures and stuff, and he doesn't even bother to try to lock himself up. He doesn't do anything. He's just running around in the middle of this party to conveniently change. Right. Yeah. Yep. So I guess that counts as a what-the-fuck moment. Oh, it is a what-the-fuck moment. There's a lot of them in a a row. Yeah. There's a lot. (laughs) For some reason, I don't know what the fuck happened, but in this movie, like, ten what-the-fuck things happen in a row. One of them is, you know, before they even go to that party, that insurance investigator... It goes to the castle with them, you know, to get Sandra to go. And she fucking finds the secrets of life and death in Sandra's bedroom just randomly. <laughs> like, what yeah. the fuck? You happen to find the most important piece of information just by powdering your nose and hanging out and, like, looking to see if she's looking at you and just going to withdraw. <laughs> it's not in the laboratory. It's not with Dracula in the dungeon area. No, it's, it's in her panty drawer. Right, exactly. Like, what the fuck is that? Number two. And I, you're all going to go, yes! Why do we see Dracula in the in mirror? In the fucking mirror. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. That was a huge thing. And uh, I was like, wait, wait. <laughs> That's so wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, why did they do that? They learned the game by doing that. Who? Here, here's what disappoints me. What's his name? Bela Lugosi is like way into having been Dracula. He's way into it. He knows every line. That's anytime anybody said, "Hey, where should I take my girlfriend to see?" Oh, you should see, take him to see Dracula. It's very romantic. And he always did that funny stuff in interviews and stuff. And this fucking guy is there. He doesn't say, "Well, guys." Why do you have me in front of a mirror? I don't understand what we're doing. Don't you know I cannot be seen in the mirror? What are we doing? Wasn't Bela Lugosi having, like, serious uh, substance problems towards certain parts of his life? Like, he was a violent drunk? No, that's uh, that's uh, Lon Chaney Jr. Uh, 
Lugosi was a morphine addict. I right, right. Well, he was on morphine, so he, he just didn't think about it. <laughs> Maybe, right? Yeah, but even Kane Hodder, fuck, even that guy was, you know, hey, Jason wouldn't kick a dog. I'm not going to do that. That's because Kane Hodder thinks he is Jason. <laughs> right. Well, this guy thinks he's a fucking Dracula. No offense. Yeah, I mean, yeah, shit, he got buried wearing the fucking cowl. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I don't understand. They, he probably said, guys, this makes no sense. Don't you know the story of my... Ca-? And like, shut the fuck up. You're lucky you're here. They didn't even want you. <laughs> so uh, who knows what the fuck happened. Or he thought, you know what? I, I brought this monster back to life with some magical electronic thing. He's just holding it up to his bolts. I guess I have a reflection. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. And the other fucking crazy thing, like Ryan said about, like, why is the Wolfman even hanging out with people at a costume party that you apparently have to take a boat to? Um, He's there, and uh, McDougal gets bitten by somebody, a wolf or someone wearing a wolf's mask. And they believe it's, you know, uh, Abbott, because he has a wolf's mask. So they hunt Lou and and, uh, Costello, because he's his accomplice. They bump into the wolf, uh, Costello bumps into the wolf man, and he's acting fucking clumsy as shit, like he was drinking all night, tripping over everything, getting caught in trees and vines and everything. Right. Costello's like, will you stop, take that mask off, punching him in his face, <laughs> kicking him in his ass. It's like, what the fuck, like, this is so out of character, and I'm not even sure that Costello would have punched Abbott. That's what I was going to say. Right. Never, he's yeah. always been on the receiving end, because Abbott was the mo. You know, Abbott was the one who would beat his ass and slap him over the head and kick him in the ass and whatever. And Costello never did that. He always was on the he took the brunt of all that. And so when I'm watching that, I'm like, you wouldn't do that if it really was him. What are you what are you doing? <laughs> I didn't think about well, I didn't know the characters at the time, so that's why I didn't didn't think about that. But yeah, isn't that weird? Yeah. It's just so out of character, but it's funny cuz it really is funny. You know, it, it's 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 really this movie, although they did a great job of, of playing it authentic and everyone being straight with what they were always, even though they merged. Uh, they did bend some stuff to to make it funny. Just like we said in the beginning with Dracula and all the shit that he could have just avoided and bypassed. No, it's funnier if we do this. you know. But w- with the meta thing I was talking about, even with the costume party when he's like, that is Count Dracula. And he's like, oh, my costume perhaps. And he goes, no, he says you're the real thing. Is that's not meta? You think he's still just referring to the? Because like people dress up as Dracula, while Dracula's still here. Well, they probably don't know he's still there. They probably think that he was a uh, somebody a uh, killer in the past and he, and he's gone. Or maybe they just they just didn't ass- assume he was human. Didn't think that he was supernatural. Like someone dressing up as like you know Jack the Ripper now or Ed Gein or some shit like that. Right, Except, right. I mean, but I think I think you have a point, Alex, in that people came to recognize that Dracula with the cape and everything. They came to they came to recognize that Dracula because of the Bela Lugosi Dracula. So mm-hmm. before that, it was you know, I mean, we had well Nosferatu, who look you know he didn't look anything like that. So I mean, it's that was the incarnation of Dracula that, that people became to accept as Dracula because of him. So you'd think if they recognize that character as Dracula, then they must be aware of the Dracula film. Does that make any sense? Right. Right. Yeah. I, I think it skates the line between both of them. You know what I mean? It skates the line yeah. between this being slightly meta to this is the same universe. Right. That's amazing, Jamie. I didn't realize that they could only know that from the movie. 
Well, yeah, yeah. well, because bef- I mean, there was um, well, I mean, that's the you know, well, you know, that's how people came to know Dracula to look like that. So. Amazing. Holy shit, we crossed like another dimension right now. Oh, that's where all their information has come from. Right. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, well, why would they know anything about them? So, yeah. How many full moons do you think are in this movie? <laughs> <laughs> that's in my notes because I don't Well, he had to go moon. when he was talking to him the first night because the moon was full and he was starting to change. Right. But, but that was in Europe, so let's give that's past one of them. Now we're in America. <laughs> oh, fuck. And then in America, there's like seven of them. It just keeps coming. You gotta lock me up again. I still need to be locked up. Oh, oh shit. This guy can't go one fucking scene without becoming a werewolf. That is classic. Well, this is the what? same movie where a guy is gonna show up to pick up a woman for a party with another date. Yeah. What? <laughs> Love it. That's because Costello's a pimp. He's like, hey, she's coming with us. Is that okay? Well, well, not really. No, I didn't want. <laughs> oh, she, she's 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 chick's date. <laughs> the, the best part was when Sandra goes, I have a headache, I can't go. And he goes, well, there goes your date. <laughs> to Abbott. He's like, holy shit. How come they went to the castle that time? And he's been dating this girl for some amount of time, right? Mm-hmm. And he acted well, as if it was the first time he went to her house. Don't you think right. before they would have been dating that he would have picked her up before? Not necessarily, because they they don't really mention a time frame. Maybe he's just been with her a week or so, but at the same time, she was just trying to get him for that purpose. So it wasn't genuine anyway. She was probably just met him at a fucking coffee shop or whatever. <laughs> you made me hey, think about something. This <laughs> Right, exactly. That's true. Yeah, it is so smart. That's what she's doing. <laughs> they seem pretty cozy. I, I guess I just bought into that, huh? that they had been established for some amount of time. We'll but. See. As we, will learn, as we will learn later in Jekyll and Hyde, you only have to know someone for five minutes before you want to smash face with them. And, this is true. <laughs> and be in the same room with them while you're changing clothes. Right. So, marry him the next marry day. Marry him the next day. Another thing. Dracula goes to the castle, okay, for the very first time. You see him. He turns into a little bat. That's excellent, okay. But the coffin and Frankenstein's monster show up there, and they're just laying on the side of the beach. There's no boat. There's no nothing, and he was a little bat. How the fuck did they get there? You know what makes me crazy? Dracula driving a fucking boat and shit like that. Like, him operating equipment and machinery and laboratories and riding boats and pushing gigantic heavy stone doors. I I just don't see that. I feel like he should have servants doing shit like that. Right, he should. He should. Every single person. He should have had an Igor, we'll say. He's doing everything for him. Renfield. A Renfield. There you go. What the fuck is he doing riding a boat? I just don't even know. Like, it just doesn't make any sense to me. It's so strange. Like, imagine Dracula driving a car. People complain that that Lon Chaney Jr. was even in a car as the son of Dracula when he in that movie. And can you imagine this Dracula would have driven? Right. <laughs> just uh, do I put that in park or do uh, neutral? What does the end mean? <laughs> How the fuck do I back up? Like, it's just so Where's weird. Where's my to morphine? Me. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit, it's almost out of gas. Where the fuck do I go to fill this up? I um, I wanted to oh because you mentioned the bat, uh, the bat transformation. Um I wanted to oh, I wanted to point out the the Wolfman transformation. I really liked in this in this yes. film. I think the dissolves were beautiful. Like they did um they really did 
pay attention to detail and make it a smooth transformation. I was impressed with that. Yeah, the dissolves in this look better than they did in the actual Wolfman. I look. think so too. I think so too. And then, but then later on, when we get to Jekyll and Hyde, not so much. But <laughs> oh yeah, we'll talk about that. Well, here's the thing: Bud Westmore did the makeup of Wolfman in this movie, and in all the other ones, it was Jack Pierce. There's a big difference. He he definitely looks different. It doesn't look as good as uh, the Wolfman in all the other movies. That looked way better than this one, but. The transformation was smooth here, so it, it still works in that respect, and it looked close enough uh, to the other one. It just didn't have the much detail, and that was the point of firing Jack Pierce and getting Westmore, because Westmore could get the makeup on in like three hours, and Jack Pierce took six hours, and they felt, they actually two hours, and, and uh, Pierce took six, and they felt they didn't have that much time to waste, he got to speed it up, and the other guy did the foam latex rubber shit, and Pierce didn't. Everything was the fucking longest way to get there. Now, is that Westmore, I wonder, in, related to Mackenzie Westmore at all, if, and her father, the, the, the ones who do uh, Face Off, the, this show? There's the special effects show Face Off. And the oh, Westmores right. are, um, you know, I don't know exactly how long their family has been in special effects business, but at least two generations. So I'm wondering if there's any relation. Hmm. Nobody wow. should automatically win. Right? <laughs> yep. By default. <laughs> That's good though, Jamie. That didn't even, that didn't even occur to me. With doesn't say in his personal life on Wikipedia. Hmm. Hmm. They were good effects though, weren't they? All around? Uh no, no, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> you disagree with that? I thought they were good. for the time oh, this was dude, made. It had its moments. I thought they were good. The bat flying looked fucking pretty realistic no, to me. No, no, the bat looked like somebody was drawing it with an etch a sketch, dude. Well, it was a rubber bed. It was on strings, but you couldn't see the strings. That's what I got out yeah, of it. Yeah, that looked but it fine, flying. but the actual transformation No, itself. no, not the transformation part, but when the bat was flying around, flapping its wings, it looked better than a lot of movies would look now if they put a CG bat in there. I think right. it looks more right. realistic. The only time it looked real fake, the transformation was like a cartoon when he went from bat, bat to bat Dracula. Argento's Dracula. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Dude, everything looks better than That's Argento's yeah. Dracula. That's fighting words. Yeah, well, no, I can admit that. But uh, <laughs> Jamie, you remember specifically the incredible effects of Son of Dracula, right? Mm-hmm. Oh. Amazing transformations. Yeah, that was before this movie, and this movie was a bigger, a fucking way bigger deal than goddamn Son of Dracula, which went under the fucking radar. This movie is the biggest thing on the planet. Why are you hiring a Woody Woodpecker fucking artist? To do the transformation. I don't understand this. It was literally the guy who drew Woody Woodpecker. Wow. That explains a lot. It certainly <laughs> does. Jesus. Wow. Holy shit. Uh, but at the same time, there was a comical edge to this. So they probably thought, you know, people would find it charming in a way. Yeah, I guess. You know? I don't, maybe I think it's more primitive times than it, than it was. Because I haven't been as versed in the, in the Universal Monster movies as everyone else has. But, but when I was watching it, that scene we were talking about before when, you know, when Costello was on the top of the box and they were doing that thing and they were going back and forth. That was great. That was done yeah. so well. And the candle sliding on um, Dracula's coffin, you couldn't see anything. So, I mean, in my opinion, uh, they did it really well. And then... You remember when he's talking to the girl and he sees the bats in her eyes? I mean, That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, it actually impressed me. I mean, I didn't see Son of Dracula, so I guess I'm, I am i don't have it to compare to. But for me, looking at a movie that's made in 48, I was impressed by the effects. Now, the bats in the eyes, that was amazing. Like yeah. I, I was just like, wow. I mean, <laughs> that was just – that was really cool. 
Made no sense, but it was great. No, but it was it looked awesome. <laughs> I don't right. give a fuck if it made sense. That was bad ass. Uh, now, Jamie, me and you, we like to do this. Now, in this movie, nobody ever meets a doctor named Frankenstein or a member <laughs> of his family. <laughs> but but he's also known as Frankenstein by that point as well. Just like you know, uh, just like what you said about them. It's like the meta now. It's just like now. Anyone's going to say that. You know, my daughter would see it at a thing, and, and if she knew what's that, oh, that's Frankenstein. So no, even that shit back makes then, me angry. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, we all know that it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. That yes. is not Frankenstein. <laughs> Do you, yeah. What is your dad teaching you? You got to teach that kid early, Dave. Teach you know I will. Right. Right, right. <laughs> absolutely. You know, I'm a bad example because I will teach her the difference. But you know, the average Joe's walking around, and even back then, uh, around 1950, they probably called him Frankenstein too, even already at that. Oh, point. they did. That's absolutely. what I'm saying. So that's why they did it, and it's always going to be there. I think Abbott and Costello at the end, when they were in the boat in the closing scene, they might have called the Frankenstein. Well, we don't have to see Dracula. On, we're done dealing with Dracula and Frankenstein. I think they said. Or no, I think they said monster. Name. Actually, they said the monster. Well, good for them. Props to them. Good. The Frankenstein monster, Dracula, the Wolfman, no one to frighten us anymore. And here's the other weird thing that doesn't make any sense if you're really into these movies. Um, when Frankenstein mm-hmm. <laughs> is talking, he's like, yes, master. Why isn't he talking in Igor's voice? Right, right. That's his voice now. Uh, and here's another big what the fuck. How come at the end of this movie... They throw down fire on the dock, and the monster walks into it. Isn't he afraid of fire? But now he wants to go fucking rave in the middle of it. Yeah, well, he's kind you know, of an idiot. Shows, yeah, I know. But even in the other <laughs> ones, fire went near him. He was like, Arr! you know, he was scared, and now he's like, I'm. I just want to walk right in the middle of this. This would be great. <laughs> Yeah, even Dracula versus Frankenstein, he was afraid of fighter Alex. Shit. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, fucking flashlight, he was running away. Right. And as well, and as far as the ego, Igor's voice thing goes, I mean, we've said in that when we were talking about that movie that it doesn't make any sense that his voice would change just because he got a new brain. <laughs> I mean, that doesn't make any <laughs> sense true. at all. You right. would right. It's not he like should they have his the voice same box. voice he always had, but you know. Yeah, different accent because his brain would still want to say it like Igor, but the voice would not match. Right. So That's true. That's true. Would... No, they always did that. Every time, in every one of these movies, when they changed it, the voice did change. And it doesn't make sense. You're right. Except Young Frankenstein. That was actually Peter Boyle's voice. Oh, yeah? They actually got it right in Young Frankenstein. Yeah. Look at that. A fucking goof gets it right, but nothing else. Yeah, and it's weird that you're talking about the <clears throat> doc scene. That monster. Was that, you know, when he ran, walked into the fire, that was actually Lon Chaney Jr. as Frankenstein. Really? What? Yep. And when he threw Sandra Mornay out of the window of the laboratory, that was Lon Chaney Jr. Because And that was fucking hilarious. Can I just tell you? Hysterical. Oh my God. He just throws her out the window. That's another time when I was just laughing like an idiot because I'm like, he just threw her ass out the window. <laughs> I mean, just picked her up and threw her. It was. <laughs> that was hardcore shit, man. Because you, you know, hilarious. Because any, any anyone knows anyone who watches Universal movies, they don't show shit, man. Like every time Wolfman kills somebody, he just chokes them out or something, or bites their collar. You don't really see anything, and you're lucky if you even get that half. The time. Oh, and in this, he jumps out of a window onto Dracula and takes him down into the fucking ocean. Yeah, that was badass, dude. 
And it's odd, that is the death of these guys, and meanwhile, not, that is not the means of death by either one of them. Right. <laughs> they could just kind of get out of there. But oh, yeah, fun. right? <laughs> I, never th- I thought it was an impressive scene when the wolfman jumps and grabs the fucking bat. I awesome thought it was cool. Scene. Yeah, I did. But you're right. They, they wouldn't lead to their demise ordinarily. No. And it's funny because they have that fake splash effect on the water. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like yeah. the water's perfectly streaming, and all of a sudden you see this like manufactured fucking splash. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's still better than the one at the end of Ninja Turtles Part 3, though. So. Oh, geez. There's no splash. Right. <laughs> it just evaporates into the water. Is it, maybe he's a really great high diver. He, there's no splash. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so they, you know, they uh, a lot of stuff ensues after the party. You know, like I said, the hypnotized Costello and Abbott, they, they get him over to the island. Um, oh, no, Ab- Abbott falls to the floor. They get Costello to the island. They start, they hold him as a prisoner. Larry Talbot as a human, back to normal, not a wolf man. I guess for one minute there wasn't a full moon. And Bud go over there to rescue Costello. And um, they get him out. They rescue the this Professor Stevens and all that. They rescue Joan Raymond. And they, they're all ready to go. <clears throat> and and Dracula hypnotizes Costello to come back once he realizes he escaped. Now, the weird part is they get him back. And they don't even question how he got out of there, where the fuck Stevens is, where the fuck uh, the Joan Raymond is. They don't even, like, wonder. They just say, well... We got him back. Let's just start operating on him. We won't even lock the fucking door because what could go wrong? You know, <laughs> <laughs> like they don't even wonder what happened or who who else is around or what's going on. They got shit to do. Not <laughs> <laughs> have time for that, right? <laughs> Look, we got the little fat bastard. Let's go. <laughs> and then you get the, a classic scene. You know, uh, Bud and Larry go in there to rescue. Uh, Costello, and as he's trying to unstrap him from the table, one of the most classic scenes ever, man. Uh, Larry Talbot starts looking out the window, another fucking full moon, and he goes, "What? What are you looking at? Someone else coming after me?" And he looks back, and he's the Wolfman now. Yeah. <laughs> Holy shit! Fastest transformation ever. Right. <laughs> we are exposing way too much. We should get out of this review. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, but it it's great. And then you got a whole entire chaotic thing, chases through the house, shit like that. What do you guys think of that whole sequence of just chaotic chases and jokes and gags and nonsense? That's classic Abbott and Costello right there. It's like a live action version of Scooby Doo where they're like running from room to room, you know, right. like you always get that segment in Scooby Doo where the music kicks in and you see them like run crossing the hallway, going from room to room. Right, they got their seventies porno music playing and then run around the <laughs> If you really look at it, it's mostly just people struggling and throwing flower pots at each other and shit like that, but <laughs> no, but no, it's 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 great fun. I mean you can't be cynical about this fucking movie, otherwise you're a total loser. Um <laughs> There are scary scenes. Let's get to some of those uh, scary scenes when they're doing the revolving door gag in the dungeon or or wall gag. Um, There's a point where Costello sits on Frankenstein's lap and realizes Uh his hand is there and he's he's three hands. No, it's a different person's hand and all that type of shit. Um, He gets up and he runs and the music kicks in and Frankenstein's going after him. Goes around the corner. All of a sudden, Dracula just stands up out of his coffin and looks at him. And that's fucking crazy. Like, when I was a kid, I was, like, just... I was just lost in this. I was like, what the fuck? This is going crazy. And to me, that's that's really scary stuff. I don't know. Do you guys, like, how does it play to you? Yeah, it's, 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 it's scary. I agree. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think it could work that way. I've, a lot of that, I think, is Costello's reaction. Like, he really sells it because he's scared shitless. And so, like, right, right. He, he just, if you're in it with the character, then you could totally get sucked into that. Right, absolutely. And, like, the real funny parts, it's all about some of the f- best funny parts, that the girls always like Costello. Whether always. It's, always, yeah. Sandra likes him. Then all of a sudden, the fucking insurance inspector could have liked anybody. And she, and then Abbott's like, uh, I, I'm not doing anything. Oh, and then they'll be awfully lonely. <laughs> Dude, he must have a dick like a tree trunk. <laughs> Dude, it's crazy. They never like Abbott. And then, like, one of my funniest subtle moments, man, I fucking love this. Like, I don't know if you guys picked up on this. They said, all right, Larry Talbot says we have to search the place. All right, come on, let's just look around. So they go down this hallway, and they both open a door. So the camera shows Bud opening a closet, and he picks up a broom and looks at it, spins it around, and puts it back. Then Costello opens a door, and it's that fucking thing that leads down to the dungeon. And he closes the door because he's scared, and he goes... What's in there? And he goes, uh, 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 broom closet, br- broom closet. And then, then Abbott looks back where he was because he knows he just had a broom in his hand. He goes, broom closet. Yeah, he's like, wait, there's not two broom closets. Right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And I don't know what scene it is exactly. I don't recall, but there's one scene where, uh, Abbott's acting like kind of pissed off and, and Costello looks at him and he's like, he's like, I don't like when you act like that. Be like how I like you to be. Yeah. <laughs> this is how I like it. It's just loaded with those quick one-liners, quick fucking. He tells know. him to look at himself in the mirror, and he goes, "Why should I hurt my own feelings?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Costello's depressed about something. What is he saying? He goes, "I don't know how she can look me in the face with this," and then he goes, "I don't know how she can look you in the face." Period. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's great. I-, I love how these guys like. One of the charms about the movies that really kind of puts it in another world, honestly, is the way these guys dress. Like, Abbott and Costello always got these, like, nice suits on all the time with the the ties and the hat. Like, they don't dress like fucking slobs, like T-shirts and jeans and sneakers. It's like, it's really, it takes you to a different place just looking at them. Even, even bums, or, and, and, well, like, and I don't mean like hobos, but, like, even the people who didn't have a job still wore suits and ties and all and by the way costello's tie was so cute and short and fat it was like he always had this little short fat tie (laughs) and his pants are always yanked up to his armpits but um (laughs) but yeah like even the everyone dressed that way back then you know everyone's walking around in suits with a fedora and it didn't really matter if you worked on wall street or if you you know worked at the corner shop you always wore suits and ties and or you know dress pants and ties whether you wore a jacket or not but it and i watched this i'm like god men don't dress like that anymore but then i think how uncomfortable must that have been to, to, right. to dress like that all the time yeah and the, and the heat and the fucking this and that like oh my god and they never have coats over like nothing and uh the one thing i'm happy about is you know everybody knows in the old universal movies by the time we're at we get past Ghost of Frankenstein, and then we're in the two house movies. Dracula, uh, Frankenstein is a fucking prop piece. Uh, he was just used for end rampages, and I'm really glad he was utilized throughout the whole movie here. You know, he was still unhealthy and a little slow, a little dumb, but it was it was fulfilling to a, a fan of this type of shit. And and one thing I really noticed is that Dracula is so far different from the Dracula of the original movie. Like they're they're two completely different characters. 
the shit he does in Abbott Costello is so far from what he did in the 31 movie. And, and this is 17 years later, by the way. Like, Lugosi's like 66 years old in this movie. Or uh, 67. Oh, 66. He was 49 when he did Dracula. Looks pretty good, considering. Well, there was tons of makeup on well, him. Well, obviously, but yeah. 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 So, but uh, it's really weird, because he's like, I've chartered a ship to take you to England <laughs> tomorrow evening. And now he's like, what about the monster? I don't want to repeat Frankenstein's mistake and revive a vicious, unmanageable brute. This time the monster must have no will of his own, no fiendish intellect to oppose his master. And well, it's everybody like, talks so fucking fast in this movie. That no, was the times. Don't. It's different from what I'm used to watching. When I went back and watched these, I really, I found myself really having to stay into it and, and sometimes rewind because I missed something in the plot or I questioned something like a lot more often than I would in a, in a movie nowadays. I was right. like, what they talk, their execution, there's so much going on and they talk so damn fast. That's why Dracula, that's an example. He talks so slow in 31. Even in this movie, <laughs> he's bouncing around. He's, I guess it was just the times. They just talked fast. He's on morphine now. Morphine. <laughs> <laughs> previous statement about him walking upstairs for five solid minutes in, in the original. I think they just didn't have as much to do. So they're like, slow it down. You know? <laughs> and here they're like, pick it up, pick it up, pick it up, pick it up. Because, I mean, these movies move at a clip. I and mean, they, they, there is never a dull moment or never a moment where someone's just standing still or did. something is always happening. Right. Man, these script writers, they must have fucking sore-ass hands back then. <laughs> As the, the the new guest in the dungeon, Ryan, how do you rate Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein out of five stars? Oh, I've watched this so many times growing up. This When I watch it, you know, we could point out all these flaws in this film, but when I'm watching it, none of them really affect me. It's just the whole of what this thing is. I would honestly give this thing a five-star rating because it just makes me feel that good when I'm watching it. Yep, and it's just it's so well done for a first outing in something like this. God damn, did you hit that out of the ballpark. Uh, Dave Z, how do you rate this? Oh, I'm interested in Dave Z because he, uh, first time ever. Yeah, it's weird because this is what it is. This is the first Abbott Costello I ever saw. And I have to say that it's it's like the cherry buzz because, in my opinion, it's the, it's well, it, granted in a lot of series, the first is the best, but this is the best of the series. Mm-hmm. You know, unfortunately, there's nowhere to go but down, but that whatever they don't go too far down, but right. this what a perfect blend of fucking horror and comedy it played like a horror movie in a lot of aspects and it, it had just the right amount of comedy it was a a really good mix mm-hmm. and you know there's sure there's what the fuck moments and whatnot but whatever i had a lot of fun with it and um yeah I, it, it was just my first introduction to this type of comedy with costello and the impressions and the physical just the whole thing me too so be, huh? yeah just because of the whole thing uh, how impressed I was with it all. This one I also will give five stars. Nice. Hey. I would love to. Say, oh, oh, I'm not gonna say anything, Jamie. What do you say? Yeah. Well, I'm. I don't think it's gonna be any surprise. This is. Um, this is my favorite of all the Abbott and Costello films. This is. This you get three heavy hitters here, Universal heavy hitters, which is just awesome. All coming together, including the Wolfman. Five heavy hitters. Are you counting Abbott and Costello? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I was just counting. Okay. I'm just counting the monsters. But, um, yeah. So, five people equals five stars for me. Oh! <laughs> nice. What the wow. fuck? Odd. This is going to be a first, man. This is getting 20 across the board. This is just perfect. 
20 points straight across the board. I give it a 5. There's no doubt in my mind. I don't give a fuck if Dracula is in the mirror. I don't give a fuck how she found that notebook. This movie <laughs> is awesome. There's nothing to complain about in any true way. And I don't give a shit about anything that's wrong with it. There's really nothing wrong with it. It's right. Right. Well, at the end of the day, you got a chick being tossed out a window. All right, guys. Well, there it was. Abacus, somebody Frank said, if you could listen to this and hear all this shit, and it gets up 20, and I'm going to post every review we do and all the ratings we give, I'm going to post some on our Facebook before the show comes out. In case you guys are thinking, ah, I'm not going to bother watching these, I might listen to the show. This will, if you see our ratings, it might get you to watch these because you'll see what you're missing out on. So we'll be right back with the next. We're doing all this stuff in order. The way these movies came out is the way we're reviewing them. The next movie, Boris Karloff was not Frankenstein in this movie. He was just far too old. He couldn't do anything. And he probably looked horrible at this point as Frankenstein. They didn't even consider actually hiring him for Frankenstein. It was Glenn Strange. But Boris Karloff wanted in on the act. So he is in Abbott and Costello Meet the Killer. And we'll be right back with a review of that movie. Freddy, come to the window. I'm up on the sill. Now then, Freddy, jump. Not into the room, out of the window. Maybe you'd like to select your own means of self-destruction. How would you like to die? Old age. All right, guys, now we're moving on to Abbott and Costello meet the killer. Boris Karloff. They only say that because they're just trying to let you know he's in the movie. I don't think it's actually part of the title, although it is on IMDb and Wikipedia. Yeah, this came out a year after Abbott Costello meet Frankenstein. Like I said, he was kind of like, you know, he didn't get to go in on the fun, so he hopped on for two other movies that they did. So this movie stars Abbott Costello, Boris Karloff, Lenore Aubert, the girl who played Sandra Mornay in uh, Frankenstein, meet Frankenstein and then I could list 20 other people but I'm not going to mm-hmm, right. this movie has a lot of characters in it it doesn't hurt the movie I mean, honestly it doesn't bother me at all yes it hurts if if you try to explain it to people or, or kind of make sense of it all in, in the long run uh, Lost Caverns Hotel bellhop Freddie Phillips is suspected of murder Swami Talper tries to hypnotize Freddy into confessing, but Freddy's too stupid for the plot to work. Inspector <laughs> Wellman uses Freddy to get the killer, and it isn't the Swami. Um, so yeah, that doesn't really help. Um, like I said, this really famous lawyer is writing memoirs, and he's gonna write about all the cases he was in. Then he was asked to go to a hotel, and then he gets bumped off there. And all the people he put in jail are there, too. So what those people are here to do is throw suspicion. You're not supposed to be able to figure out who killed him. And that's all they do. So if you simplify that in your mind, that'll work. The only problem is they all appear very guilty. They try to walk out with suitcases of his. They try to get Freddie Phillips to confess to the murder. You know, like, it just seems like so many people, there's so many moving parts that even if you're trying to throw suspicion, why do they all have such investment in this if they're not the killer? Right, that is the thing. I know they all had, I don't know, didn't they mention that they he had information on all of them, so basically he was going to out them for something kind of like Clue style? 
That's what I was taking from it. I guess so. But at the same time, through all the crap they were pulling on Abbott and Costello for this whole movie, by the end, the, the police should have taken them away, too. Right. Right. You know? And it's just crazy. Uh, to, to, to go through the movie is just too too convoluted and we'll get lost you'll get lost so it's just it's best to just kind of compartmentalize things here and you know just enjoy it i mean okay well how about that what do you guys think did you although there's that aspect i don't think it takes away from the movie i i love this movie i think it has a lot of great stuff to it a lot of great performances and i it's it's one of the better ones to me I agree. I think it is a um, it's it's a good movie. It's 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 straight up. It's a whodunit. I would say it's nothing like the other one was. The other one was trying to use geared towards horror with comedy. This is the whodunit, but it's set up like a good whodunit. It, it does get a little convoluted, but it's set up like a regular murder mystery story. However, there's you know there's a there's two or three segments that are just hysterical with Evan and Costello and. It's just loaded with with a lot of wisecracks, which is what they do, which is you know, which is what's so great about them. So it, it, it's it's a fun movie. It's definitely I, you know, not on the level as, as the one we just reviewed, but but nothing is. So let's not even you know. You're right. Agree. Then that's what I said. They won't be right. Yeah, we could go. F- but I didn't know going into it. So yeah. But this is a good movie. I'm not, you know the only complaint is that I was a little confused. Okay, well, that's fine. You know, even I was. I've seen this six times. Or seven or eight times, maybe. And at the end of the movie, I was—I thought some other guy was going to be fingered as the killer. I really don't know how I didn't know. And uh, so, uh, Jamie, this is your first time, so what did you think? Mm-hmm. Um, well, <laughs> I was also confused. I mean, by the time we got to the end, I somehow missed like the very re- like the the end reveal, and I was like, shit. And I was like, who was the killer? And Brian was like, I don't know. I wasn't paying attention. You're the one that's supposed to be covering these. And I'm like, God damn it. So I had to back it up and watch it again. But um, throughout the whole thing, there was so much, I mean, so many body gags and hiding the, the body gags. And you get some really hilarious stuff when um, Swami is trying to get Costello to kill himself. That is, that whole sequence is hilarious. And finally, he's like, you know, one of my favorite lines, and I even texted you this line because it's so funny. He's like, one of my favorite lines. He's like, you know what? Maybe you'd be better off if you chose your own method of dying. Like, what, how, well, you pick your own demise. How would you like to die? And he's like, old age. Yeah. And I'm like, yes. And it was so funny. Awesome. But we get the card playing gag, which I thought was hilarious. Um, it's oh, just, it's great. Yes. This to me was a, I mean, it was just a mess. I mean, people were all over the place. There's so many people and it's so hard to keep up with sometimes. But then I was having such a good time with it that it didn't bother me. Right. You know, I never, I never thought, God, this is too much. I just was, it, because I was laughing. I mean, it was really funny. So, um, and then, oh, and then you get the sequences with Costello dressed as a maid. <laughs> And that little creepy motherfucker who who works oh, in the ridiculous. court. Right, he sounded like Piglet. Have a little smack. Yeah, a little smack. What the fuck? Yeah, he's doing fucking a bag of heroin or some shit. Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> hanging out with Bella Lugosi. How about just a little smack? I really think you're cute. He's like, don't you touch me! Don't touch me! <laughs> 
<laughs> and it's always it, it never fails to crack me up how you will have like the ugliest dude I mean I don't think Costello's ugly at all I think he's adorable but like you'll have a dude dressed as a woman in, to do one of these drag gags and he doesn't really try he throws on a dress he puts on a hat and he makes some fake hair yarn. but there's no makeup there's no boobs there's nothing like he doesn't try at all and yet you've got this dude hitting Grabbing on him. Grabbing his ass. <laughs> <laughs> Ridiculous. <laughs> what, now, now, Ryan, I, I hope you agree. Like, looking back, and you want to say, like, the joke I did about, I'm not even naming these fucking people. Like, looking back, yeah, it does seem overwhelming. But while watching the movie, does, does the amount of characters throw you off of your enjoyment? Or do you still see this for what it is? Okay, let's put it this way. Okay, for this, you have Casey, you have Freddie, you have Mr. Strickland, you have Mr. Milton, you got Mr. Brooks, you got Carlos, uh, I mean, Karloff as a swami, you got Angela, you got Abernathy, and you got Mr. Crandall, and those are just the main baddies floating around, we'll say. <laughs> That's not even counting the other 15 to 20 people that are flowing and have something to do in this movie. But all that being said, it doesn't really matter. The only reason that it stood out to me is because I'm literally taking notes on this film. If I wasn't taking notes, I'd just be saying, okay, these are people, you know, they're trying to bump people off and everything else. But this movie, it makes sense when you're watching it. There is the sight gags to the body being moved all the time. Like Jamie mentioned the whole, I'm, I'm a chick, you know, dressing up as a chick to uh, get rid of the body, to the body being moved from where they leave it to another thing, to the steam room scene, <laughs> to everything else. This movie is pretty fucking hysterical. Okay, I, I was laughing my ass off watching this film. So, yeah, it, it doesn't affected at all no one of my favorite another one of my favorite jokes is in the very beginning when he's like i'll have your job for this and he's like aren't you a little too old for this kind of work you know <laughs> it's like <laughs> and how about the whole fucking scene he's like he's like hitting him with this he lays his golf club smashes his guy's fucking glasses like everything about that was comedic timing perfect genius shit. oh Great. What an intro in that movie. That first five minutes, all that physical comedy he's doing is fucking awesome. Gold. Yes. And, yeah. and I'm going to say this. I don't know I don't know um, which one of you – I don't know if Ryan or Jamie are big Abbott Costello fans in terms of do you know most of the movies? Do you pretty much memorize them in one way or another? If if you do, I, I wonder if people agree with me. I think this is Abbott's – one of his greatest performances ever. Like he is so spot on as Casey – Everything about him is just, he embodies that role so well and does such a great job. And I love it because Abbott is such an amazing straight man. He's caught up in this world of nonsense and with this crazy guy he hangs out with constantly. (laughs) But somehow, although he is just as crazy, he plays it in such a straight way that it's like you get lost in it. The way that works is because you see him trying to relate to to the inspector and his side man. You see him try to be like one of the boys and you see him like act like he's part of that world. But meanwhile, he's just as fucked up as Costello. And to, to, to see that dichotomy is really incredible. If you if you look at it at that like kind of character like piece standpoint, it's really interesting. And hopefully people could appreciate that. I actually made a note that said straight is straight man. And I think that and, and what that meant when I wrote it was that I think this is the film in which he plays the straightest straight man. Like he he is so like rigidly straight at times that it, but then that just makes Costello play off him that much more hilarious. 
Right. I always had the impression of uh, Abbott and Costello watching anything Abbott and Costello until this point that the reason why they were as popular as they were was straight up Costello. You know what I mean? He is just a madman and like his timing and everything else is perfect. But when I was watching this movie, I was really seeing basically the art behind what Abbott was doing. Right. You know what I mean? He was timing everything perfectly. His reactions to the way Costello was reacting, it just flowed so well. And like you said, his interactions with the quote-unquote normal people of this film, and you could see him trying to fit in with them, but it's just not a match. You know what I mean? It's just, there's something skewed about him, and it's, you know, it's the other guys rubbing off on him. Right, and it's weird because I'm wondering what, what Abbott does in this world. Like, he just seems to be sitting in the lobby. Right? Yeah. <laughs> right. What's his job? I was going to add, that's a what-the-fuck moment. I didn't know what. I went back, I rewound it once, I go, what does he do? Because the other guys work for the papers and the press. You know, Freddie was a bellboy, Casey was just there, and I was trying, and then I was trying to figure out, what the fuck is his job? What's he doing? I think he was security. Um, I'm thinking as I was watching the rest of the film, I kind of got the idea that that's what he did because he clearly did something within the hotel, but he, he wore a suit, so he wasn't you know, a bellhop or anything like that. So mm-hmm. I got the impression that he was actually hotel security. Yeah, especially if he's going to be having interactions with the cops and everything about searching the place. So it's obvious he is in charge of that place in some capacity. And they let him watch Freddy. Right, exactly. Right. So yeah, yeah, they put him sort of in charge of keeping an eye on 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 Freddie. We should say Costello first for people who who yeah on Costello who is who clearly gets fired all the time for screwing <laughs> up because he's like oh Freddie got fired again and she's like oh again I'll talk to my uncle five minutes into this movie this guy's fired it's just like crazy and then let's get to some problems with the amount of people here's some things I'm this I'm not sure it's the amount of people but just their their motivations the daughter like who was the girl she said um did you tell him that i want to talk to him he said he didn't want to talk to you just your father now niece 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 of who the hotel manager the hotel yeah okay yeah okay yeah why was she so suspicious oh shit duh so she was in on it with her uncle (laughs) oh yeah they said that later yes yes but but she didn't get arrested at the end of the movie no, nobody oh, did except the killer. These yeah. are the worst police investigators ever. Because she was insanely suspicious. Remember how the guy looked at her and she just turned her head and walked out of the room and shit? Right. Yeah, but they weren't doing anything wrong. Beginning when we first met her, I mean, the, when she said that she wanted to talk to him so bad, and then she starts looking off in the distance when he's saying, oh, he only wanted to talk to your uncle, and then she looked, you know, she had that look on her face like, mm-hmm. hmm. Yeah. I mean, right away you're starting to suspect her. When she walked in the room, it's almost like she expected to see Strickland dead, you know? Right. So, yeah, I, get, I didn't even put that together just now. She must have been in cahoots, but I guess the reason I didn't put it together is because she had no consequence of this. Right. Well, didn't she just hide bodies with her uncle? That's the only wrongdoing they did? They, 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 they tried to pin it on Freddie by putting the bodies in his room? Which is very illegal. Well, yes. It is illegal. <laughs> oh, it's okay, guys. He was nervous. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. I, mean, we, I understand you're nervous, right? Because there's dead bodies in your room. So yeah, you're cool. All right. Well, uh, so where'd you find them in your room? Okay, that's fine. But they were innocent of murder. They weren't. They were just covering up their own asses. Right. You know. Oh, I didn't see where he feels the guy's pulse, but he's feeling his own pulse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
What about that scene when everyone's trying to kill Costello? Everybody's trying, and he sits there in front of this window, and they shoot <laughs> through this window. They run away from the window because of the gunshots, but then two seconds later, Abbott's walking in front of this window, standing there <laughs> making a phone call. What the fuck are you doing, dude? Laughing <laughs> about it. Right. <laughs> I stood up at my house saying, what the fuck, dude? Oh, there are what the fuck moments, man. Like, Freddy, you know, we got the Frankenstein meets Frankenstein chicken here. Again, she's hitting on him. Again, two movies in a row. Duping him again. Same shit. Yeah, doesn't like Abbott again. And uh, she somehow gets him to, to write out, I killed Strickland, and sign his name. Right. I hereby confess. So, <laughs> then he'll be a witness. So then, right. when they get the real killer to sign it, then they'll know that down. he was there for it. <laughs> I'm like, what, you idiot? That's fucking funny. <laughs> but it led to the one of the funniest scenes in the world when she orders the champagne, and then they figure okay. it's it's drugged or whatever to kill him, and then they run in there pouring all this shit down his throat, and he goes, <laughs> "What else you got? <laughs> I got belladonna. What else you got?" And then he's like, "Why didn't you tell me? I didn't even drink." any of that well why didn't you tell me because every time i opened you my mouth you poured something down it <laughs> and he's crying what he's doing <laughs> said, time i tried to tell you you poured something in my mouth <laughs> god damn it oh god and we were talking about the weirdo in the card room making sexual advances towards him <laughs> and 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 jamie said the greatest one of the greatest sequences and of course the great boris Karloff trying to kill freddie this whole thing, will you stab the man in the mirror? And he looks in the mirror, and it's a different angle than fucking... <laughs> he sees him. <laughs> and he yeah. sees him, and he's like, sure, I'll stab you. <laughs> like, that was brilliant. It was brilliant. That sequence and the card sequence, with the card game, were fucking awesome. And then that little bit they did later on, which was very reminiscent of the of the, the, the who's on first uh, routine that everybody knows. Uh, What's that? When they were doing that, the murderer or the culprit. Oh, the culprit. That thing. It's a murderer. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. I actually texted so you good. that, too. <laughs> like, if I'm the murderer, then who's the, who's the yeah. murderer? Then the culprit. <laughs> well, who's the culprit? The murderer! <laughs> <laughs> Such clever writing, man. So, so fucking funny. With, with the, the sequence with Boris Karloff and Freddy, or Costello, he walks up to the window and he goes, climb up to the window. And he goes, jump. And he jumps backwards. And he's like, the will of an idiot to cling to life. And he's like, <laughs> why? And I'm wondering, look, let's get serious. There's no real reason he has to make him commit suicide. Why couldn't Swami just push him out of the fucking window when he was standing there? Why, why does he literally have to use his muscles to get out of the window? I don't understand that. I said right. the same thing. I'm like, at this point, just fucking kill him and get it over with because this is taking way too long. Because <laughs> he gets off on the, the the act of hypnotizing him. It's an ego thing. That's that's what it is. Use your powers type scenario. Now we got an error in this movie now though because uh, what the fuck? Oh shit! It's not because I thought that was the killer. God damn! Never mind. Okay. I don't even know who it is now. I forgot since I watched the movie. It's but I don't. The hotel care. manager. Oh, not Strickland. He's the owner, right? Strickland was a lawyer. It was uh, Milton. Oh, yeah. The niece. It, 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 was it the guy with the niece or no? I guess, yeah. I don't know. Oh, so I'm wrong. I thought the only, their only crime was hiding the bodies, I thought. No, but she didn't kill anybody. No, 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 no. The the one with the niece that, that helped hide the bodies in their room, that was not the hotel manager. I don't remember who he was oh, because, once again, there's too many fucking people in right. this movie. And I couldn't <laughs> recognize him. 
That's it. Doesn't take any anything away from it. At the end of the day, might when have I, been when Mr. I Abernathy. Down, Abernathy. That sounds like a killer. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> So Mr. Milton, the hotel manager, is the murderer. Why are we hearing Swami's voice come out of a record telling him to meet him at the cavern and bring the fucking handkerchief? Right. And in the cavern, when the whole thing is going on, number one, that bottomless pit has a fucking bottom. I saw it. (laughs) (laughs) Number two, it is... Karloff the whole time in there doing everything because that's his fucking voice coming out of the thing. Right. It's like they last minute said, you know, Karloff said, you know what? I don't want to be the killer. <laughs> make, make it him over Let's here. Let's throw him off. Like, in, and that's the thing. Here's the problem with this whodunit. It's much like Friday the 13th. Sorry, Tristan. It's much like that. There was no lead up to how we could figure out that Mrs. Voorhees was the killer. There's nothing. You know, you have this guy holding a fucking machete looking at the snake. You have the green Jeep with Steve Christie. Nothing really could lead you to figure out that it's Miss Voorhees. In this movie, how the fuck could you figure out that it's Milton, the hotel manager? Like, what does he do or have any, th- any role in this movie to figure out that's him? Well, he yeah. doesn't. Years. And that's yeah. the thing is, is that uh, you're not, I guess you're not, it's not like a true whodunit in where they've left clues the entire time, like Sixth Sense style, where if you go back and watch it, you're going to be like, oh, that makes total sense now. I mean, right. there's none of that. You just, just like, oh, by the way, uh, this is him. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> but it, that's not the point of the movie, though, is, I mean, it's not a true mystery. It's just, um, it's just all for comedy. So they should really have made Karloff the killer then. Why advertise it that way? Why right. the fuck not? Because nobody even cares who the killer is by the end of the day. I should have just was, made it to him. You know? Right. They, I think they were just trying to throw everybody off. Okay, let's make yeah. it look like Karloff the whole time. Fuck it. We'll even make him in the goddamn costume <laughs> of the killer at the fucking pit. And yes, we'll use his voice too. But at the end, haha, we tricked the entire audience. Like, well, you got me, bro. Gee. Right, because you're fucking full of shit. That's I'm right. the fucking idiot, I guess, huh? Yeah, like and, and like with the best scene, man, when they're playing cards and this guy with the voice, he's oh, like, great. You have a, he has a dead hand. And then he just like fl- flips the cards in his hand. <laughs> and then like Abbott looks around like, oh, God, this fucking I, all those lines. How could you not tell there are two corpses there playing cards? You should right. play me. Play me as your partner, because that guy's a stiff. A stiff, right. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to get murdered. He tells what him, about remember? that scene with the bottomless pit? The bottomless pit when he starts to fall and somehow he slides backwards and levitates across this fucking pit. Horrible, horrible. Oh my god. (laughs) And what was that fucking bear? What was that big bear? Oh my god, that was hilarious. That bear was awesome. I swear somebody was wearing that costume spinning around a helicopter in Grizzly. Yes. That's exactly what I thought of when I saw that bear was Grizzly. But (laughs) that that's the most awesome bear. And just came out of nowhere, went back to nowhere, didn't mean anything, but <laughs> just wanted to show a bear go, rawr! Yeah, because he blew up dynamite. That means a bear is naturally going to come out of the wall, right? <laughs> right? It's, like, so fucking weird. And, like, and, and Boris Karloff, the fucking 90-year-old guy, pulls a 240-pound guy up at 30 feet of rope. Yes. Give me a <laughs> break. I, I have that in my notes. A wow, old Boris Karloff's really fucking strong. Oh, God. <laughs> Freddie, where'd you get that gun? He's like, uh, I, I don't want to tell you. He goes, I'm going to ask you for the last time. Where'd you get that gun? I don't know. Freddie, where did you get it? I thought you said that was the last time. <laughs> <laughs> that was so funny, man. 
They just you could take this duo and put them in any type of movie, and just know that fucking they're gonna make it entertaining because there's gonna be these these funny fucking wisecrack lines that are just gonna come out in any situation. Right, they're gonna constantly do their shtick, and it's, it's great. It doesn't feel like it's regurgitated at all, even though they're doing the same fucking beats. It's just. It's yeah. very odd. And even the, did you guys notice this music was the same as Adam Costello meet Frankenstein? Right, right. Same exact music. And I'm going to tell you this: as much as I love the movie, it's not. It doesn't gel exactly with the movie. Later on, another movie uses this fucking music again, and it works perfect. But this movie, it didn't exactly fit. But it does not hurt the movie. It's, it's just fine. No, this isn't a monster movie like the other one. Right, that's ones probably were. why it didn't fit, yeah. Yeah, this is a whodunit. It's just different type of thing. Hey, you guys realize that? Remember you, you said the guy with the voice in the basement? Yeah. You know who that guy was? I'm not positive, but as I'm watching this movie, the entire time, every time he talks, I'm thinking of the fucking Cheshire Cat from freaking Alice in Wonderland. Hmm. Yeah, he's a character actor. He's been in a ton of shit. I would will I'd be willing to bet he was the fucking voice of Cheshire Cat. Um, you know. Yeah, he was, and he's also um. You'll see him pop up in like in a lot of sitcoms from the time, like Bewitched and and things like that. Like he was always like a shop owner or you know a bank guy or something like that. He would just come in, and he always had that. His voice was very distinctive. Ugh, so gross, uh, man. He, he he was in a Twilight Zone too, Alex. By the way, I remember. Yeah, I know. I feel like I know this fucking guy. I always think of Cheshire. Uh, you know, I admit it. I've seen fucking Alice in Wonderland like over fifty times. So oh, whatever. Oh, it's a great movie, and I used to take a lot of ass and watch it and everything. Oh, else, okay. so whatever. I'm a big fan of that fucking movie. Did you ever snore? Ne- nah, never mind. <laughs> so, did you guys think when Abbe at the end of the movie, after you know, we hear Karloff's voice, we pretty much think it's Karloff, all that type of shit. Did it throw you off a little bit when Abbott sprains his ankle and he's like, oh, I, I, I can't go on. You got to go on without me. Just go ahead. Go down there and I'm going to go back to the room. Did you get suspicious at that point? No, but I know that's what they wanted me to be. You know what I mean? Right. You know, uh, Dave, did you? Or? Well, I, I figured he was up to something. Never for a second did I think he was the killer. No. But I figured he had some type of fucking plan when he did that. He couldn't be because he was there when the bullets were going through the window. So I wonder what that was. It must have been to throw us off, even though, do they think we're stupid? Because, oh, man, that's making me think. Maybe that's why they did that thing where after the bullets come through, then all of a sudden Abbott walks in front of it with no fear whatsoever. Ah. And then he leaves with the sprained ankle. So that makes when Costello is screaming at him saying, you're the killer, you're the killer, maybe you would think it was him. (laughs) Yeah, he was going crazy at the end about calling him the killer. That was fucking... He was ready to turn on him, and he didn't care. He was just saving his own hide at that time. This <laughs> movie's funny. deeper than I thought it was. <laughs> deeper than that bottomless pit that had a bottom. Yeah. Had a bottom that you could see from the top, yes. <laughs> the bottom is right there! <laughs> that cape slide was amazing, though. Oh, my God, those effects on that? <laughs> Freddy drowning, and then the fucking killer breaks the wall, and he goes... In two minutes, the water will be over your head. Thank you. Thanks a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and even though, you know, the the top of it, his head was a little bit above it. So even if it filled up, he'd be able to tip his head back and breathe. Yeah. <laughs> that steam bath scene was really cool. That was like something you would have seen on like an 80s slasher, you know, except. Uh, oh, it was oh, great. Right. When the hand reaches around oh, and turns, yeah. it made me think of Halloween, too. There it is. There Good it call. Is. Right. Yeah. 
And then, of course, they cap it off with a gag, and he runs out there to the water cooler and drinks the entire fucking tank in one sitting. <laughs> and then he's fine. He's just perfect afterwards. <laughs> That's fucking funny, man. And how about that? Like, those two inspectors. I like the inspector, honestly. I love the character and the guy with him. And, like, every time, Freddy's in such shit, and he's like, all right, I'm going to give you one more chance to clear your name. Right! All the time, man. One more chance. He's like, oh, come on. He's too stupid to commit murder. Yeah, well. And then he's like, I think we have the murder right here. I don't know why we're wasting our time. It's like, all right, Freddy, I'm going to give you one more chance to clear your name. Now, you try to sell this handkerchief. Like, it is crazy how many chances these guys get. And he's like... There, 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 there are two bodies. What do you mean two bodies? Uh, it's like you know way too much, and we're still letting you off the hook. It's so fucking crazy. Um, right. I thought one thing was funny. Every man in this movie wore a hat. <laughs> <laughs> Every fucking male person in this movie had one of those fucking hats or derbies on. Right. Well, I miss everybody that wore hats back then. I wish. I wish yeah. that would come back, dude. I would totally rock a fucking fedora yeah. every day. Right on. <laughs> There's a website called the Fedora Lounge, and it's specifically for, geared for, toward people who who dress that way now, and uh-huh. men and women alike. There's there's a women's section too. So I like a lot of retro stuff, and I like to do like retro makeup and retro hair and stuff like that. And um, but it's a really cool site, and it's and it's um to and it's really amazing to see how many people out there are still trying to bring it back. I wish it would come back. I wish people dressed like that. No, it's classy. It's nice. Yep. They're not just for Freddie anymore. Right. <laughs> Those days are gone, though. We can wish all we want. So this uh, this movie was actually banned in Denmark just due to the scene where the corpses were playing cards. They actually... Just think of that. You know, we're worried about that when Kevin Bacon gets a fucking arrow through his neck, they cut it short. They couldn't even show goddamn dead comedic bodies playing cards back then. So go figure. So <clears throat> just in case anyone's confused, who doesn't know... Back at the hotel, this is the end of the movie. Back at the hotel, everyone is gathered together, and Stone returns with some muddy shoes that belong to Melton, uh, the hotel manager, which proves that he was the one in the caverns with Freddy. His motive for the murder was that he, Mike Relia, and Milford, Strickland's secretary, were blackmailing the owner, Mr. Crandall. When Strickland found out, he came to investigate, so Melton killed him. Milford then sent down the former clients to use de- as decoys for the police, but Melton then killed Relia and Milford to cover it all up. He attempts to escape through a window and is caught by one of Freddy's booby traps. Does that help you at all, or you, you get lost in those names? I'm still confused. <laughs> I got lost, but that's, I'm a goldfish. I couldn't keep up. Yeah. <laughs> but the booby traps were sweet. <laughs> that was <the> <laughs> I remember that much. So let's rate this bitch before it gets any more confusing. Uh, Ryan, what do you think? One out of five. Yeah, this is not uh, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein by any means, but at the same time, I enjoyed the hell out of it when I'm watching it. It's my first time seeing it. I could follow everything along. It had a completely different feel and everything else. I didn't like it as much, but and it's still a good movie. I'd give it about four stars. Nice. Nice, nice. Jamie, what do you think? What this had in spades was just pure comedic value and right. there was a lot of physical comedy there are a lot of of sight gags and and great dialogue and back and forth so i was thoroughly entertained throughout also the first time i'd seen this one but i loved it um i'm gonna say 4.5 right on now i'm worried about dave i hope the confusion did not uh taint i was confused as hell but i still loved it. <laughs> <laughs> right and i was confused as hell however 
No, Alex, it didn't affect me too negatively. Um, I still <laughs> a lot of good comedy, a lot of good lines, the physical comedy, everything. I was okay with the Who Done It for like the first like forty minutes when I was able to follow it. <laughs> then it got a, got a little ho- a little crazy, and I couldn't quite follow it. But that was saved by three or four scenes which played out really well and they were funny and everything else so i i agree um with with ryan and i give it four stars wow awesome i'm gonna give it a a 4.5 i think that's a pretty accurate four to 4.5 i think is actually accurate for this movie so yep so there you go guys another one knocked out of the park so far we're doing great and at the end of ab and costello meet frankenstein they gave you a little teaser uh, Vincent Price did a voice at the end of the movie, and it hinted that next they're going to meet the Invisible Man, and we are too. Next, we'll be right back. Don't give me that invisible stuff again. Honest. And there were footsteps with no feet. And a grip that was unpacking itself. All right, boys, let's go. (laughs) They're private eyes, they are. And they're tickled to death, as you may be, that their first job is a murder case. Only a man they can't see is driving them to distraction. I said pull over to the... A blonde is trying to booby trap them. My uncle is worried too about the... About the effect of the drug on my mind? Invisibility gives me a sense of power. For good or for evil. Neither of you get a chance to tell the cops anything. Well, look, pal, let's talk this thing over. There's no... Okay, guys, here we are. Abbott and Costello meet the Invisible Man, 1951. That means this is two years after Abbott and Costello meet the killer. Uh, but Abbott, Lou Costello, and a bunch of other people. Sorry, we don't have time for all this. So here's the storyline. Tommy Nelson is accused of murdering his manager, and uh, he really didn't do it. And it was all because he was paid off to take a dive in, like, just say the fifth round. And instead, he knocked out the guy he was boxing. So he took the money, knocked the guy out, and didn't, you know, go through with the thing. Because I guess he just didn't want to lose or whatever. So the way the mobsters pay you back for doing shit like that, in this case Morgan specifically, is he bumped off his manager, O'Hara. So now Tommy Nelson, the boxer, is being chased down by the police because they all believe that he really did kill his manager because, um... Morgan pays the guy at the door, the uh, phony cop, Rent-A-Cop, to say that nobody went in this room except for uh, Tommy Nelson. So he's the one who killed the manager. So the whole thing is about Tommy trying to clear his name, and he happens to be dating a girl who's, I don't know, they're friends with this fucking doctor. I, I don't even know the relation, really. And he has an agent that will make you invisible. And they didn't want to give it to Tommy because that... Just like if you guys watch The Invisible Man, the original, it fucks with your head and it makes you sort of go, you become a raving maniac who has just urges to kill people and you're just really out of sorts. So that's why they didn't want to give it to him, but he says, fuck it, I got, I got to get the fuck out of here, people are coming after me, fuck you, I'm taking the shit. Bam, he becomes visible and comedy ensues. I mean, this is 
This movie is amazing. I mean, right. I was knocked on my ass. I've seen this like 15 times, but this time, man, I just absorbed everything for what they were going for, and it is brilliant. Oh, that, absolutely. This thing is so incredibly well done. Everything about the invisibility stuff, I, don't, I turn into a five-year-old when I see a floating <laughs> hat. You know what I mean? It's so odd. <laughs> it's you know I was just giddy watching this whole entire thing. True, it wasn't the Invisible Man I was hoping for before I saw this thing. Right. But once I got into the story of this thing and what it was all about, everything to the boxing stuff and fake punches and everything, it was hysterical, dude. I love this movie to death. Yeah, that moment with the speed bag was hilarious. Oh, yeah, brilliant. <laughs> and they could have kept that same gag going for like ten minutes, and I still would have laughed my ass off the right. entire time because I couldn't get enough of it. <laughs> yeah, Jamie's referring to you know the speed bag was boom, 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 like Rocky's hitting the fucking speed bag, but obviously the Invisible Man, the boxer, is hitting it, and Costello's pretending to hit it because the Invisible Man's idea is that how about you fight the guy Rocky Hanlon who. I didn't take a dive for, and then we're going to double-cross him again, and when they come to kill Bud, your manager, who's going to just be your manager because he's your only friend, uh, we'll, we'll get them, and that's the whole thing. So now Costello has to act like he's a real boxer, and they call him Louis the Looper, and everything he does in exhibition is really Tommy doing it, but nobody can see that, and they believe it's really Costello, and everyone's buying into this bullshit, and it's just the f- craziest story in the world. Abbott and Costello are two detectives who graduated from detective agency and the only reason costello did is because abbott <laughs> slipped the guy 20 bucks <laughs> which is a lot of money back is, then. yeah back then he, sli- he slipped him like two grand <laughs> yeah right it's <laughs> like uh, 800 uh, gallons of milk right there <laughs> so is that what you do you judge all your uh, money by milk <laughs> <laughs> i just started now <laughs> Yes, The Invisible Man, the original, is a hardcore, f- great movie, man. You guys got to watch The Invisible Man if you haven't. Claude Rains, the guy who plays uh, Larry Talbot's father in The Wolfman, he's The Invisible Man. Brilliant. Uh, man, while Larry Talbot is my favorite character in the Universal world, The mm. Invisible Man is actually my, f- oh my God. Not, see, I love the creature too. God mm-hmm. damn it. Creature from the Black Lagoon is my f- absolute favorite, but... Right behind that becomes the Invisible Man, or comes the Invisible Man, because he is fucking brutal in that movie. I mean, he oh, is yeah. straight up evil, and the body count in the Invisible Man is like 175. Mm-hmm. I mean, oh, it's yeah. crazy how many people he kills in that movie, and um, so that's why this I love this one too. Um, it's not like that. I mean, this is a comedy, but. Um, I love that character. I love how I love the fact that you can take a normal guy, a nice guy, and then because you give him this serum and he goes invisible, then he just starts to have this progression into insanity and becomes just like a maniac. And you can see this happening with Tommy throughout. I mean, it doesn't he doesn't nearly get like uh, get like Claude Rains does, but I mean, but you can sort of see the progression happening as he the longer he stays invisible, he starts to to lose his his grip 
on uh-huh. reality, and it's um, it's done really well, I think. And plus, the the effects are pretty damned amazing. They are. And yeah. When you see, I mean, there's the floating cigarette, you know, which. But mm-hmm. the amazing mm-hmm. thing about the floating cigarette is that you can actually see the smoke as he exhales when right. he when he's walking down the hall. But to me, the the most amazing parts is when his body is walking around still clothed and his head is gone, his hands are gone, yeah. but it looks it's so. It's so well done. I mean, it's there. I can't even. There are no seams. There's yeah, nothing. It's absolutely seamless. Yeah, it's amazing. There's only one gripe I had. He's eating, and you don't see the food you go don't inside see the his food. body. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. There are weird things that you see. You don't see the cigarette smoke fill his lungs either. Which oh. But I do love the uh, the guinea pig. They actually take the time when he's when he's demonstrating how it works. When the when the professor or the scientist is demonstrating how it works, and he uses it on a guinea pig, they actually take the time to go from guinea pig. It dissolves into a little tiny guinea pig skeleton, <laughs> and then it dissolves into nothing but a little harness. And then the little tiny harness is walking around, and that is brilliant. Right. They even show veins yeah. at first. When the, the first stage is veins, and then it goes inward to skeleton, and then it goes invisible, which I was kind of upset after seeing that first. They did not do that to him when he turned invisible. Me too. And they just showed his teeth, oddly enough, and it was, right. it was a weird way, too. But, uh, Jamie, actually, that shot of the guinea pig, that was taken directly from The Invisible Man Returns. That was just footage from that movie. Yeah. Was it really? Oh, wow. Oh, all right. I did not know that. Yeah. So, uh, and it's funny. This movie, they make a Dracula and a Frankenstein reference. He's like, it's Frankenstein. He's looking at Tommy Nelson make the fucking phone call. And it's funny how they keep tying that that shit. And they do that in the next movie, too. And they also make a reference to the original Invisible Man as if that was like a real thing that happened. Yep. Um, you know, he references that case, like just like him, you're going to go crazy if you stay invisible. Right. And, and I love that too, that they completely acknowledge the, the, the universal world again. Yeah. And do you guys know anything about giving people injections? One of the, there's like two things. There's only two reasons in the world that you go through the vein. One of them is heroin and the other is like blood work. This movie, when they when he shoots the shit into his body, he puts it in his veins, which is very strange. Well, you would think if you're going to affect something at a molecular level, you'd have to go through the bloodstream. Right. It's it's very odd to do though. But yeah, it's a very it's a rare way to do it. That uh, that would get it then to pump through the entire body more quickly. Right. If you hit the bloodstream, it'll go to the heart and then be dispersed throughout. I mean that I'm you know they. Yeah. I don't even know if they put any thought into it, honestly. <laughs> like they, they even put any thought into it at all. But it, it kind of makes sense, I guess. Yeah, he rolled up his vein, though. But when he did the guinea pig, I think they just stuck it in his ass or something like that. So that was kind of weird. But what's funny, you guys talk about the cigarette bit. The funny thing is he disappears on Costello in the room the first time he you know takes the shit. And he fucking right immediately lights up a cigarette and goes like, Dude, you're fucking invisible. Why are you making it so they could see – they could basically see you again? <laughs> you're running around with a cigarette. You're identified once again, bro. You just became invisible. What the fuck are you doing? <laughs> and, and did you guys ever think the, of the logistics of taking your goddamn clothes off? Oh, yeah. Damn, right? Holy shit. Yeah. Such good effects. And Holy did you shit. notice he wasn't wearing underwear? Right, right. Oh, yeah. Right, he Dang was freeballing it. Right. He's walking around butt-ass naked just to become invisible. Like, that's so f- 
I'd do it. Shit, dude. I'd be running around outside naked. It's cold. Oh, well, nobody could see me. Jamie's naked right now. She doesn't even like to wear clothes, remember? Right, right. That's true. It's totally. And you got it. I am. So there. You would be um, the perfect yeah. invisible woman. You would, like, never have a problem with me. <laughs> <laughs> and then we get more of the same gags with the, again, Costello sees it. Nobody else does. He can't convince anybody that the Snuffleupagus is there. <laughs> hey, bird. <laughs> and, and we're back to the comedy shit, the doctor's office. Do you ever see things? Only when my eyes are open. <laughs> it's like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Oh, man, with the hypnotism. Oh, everybody goes to sleep. Oh, yeah. You, 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 oh, cut yeah. Away, you cut away to another <laughs> shot, and then you come back to him, and you get a whole fucking room of hypnotized people, <laughs> which was just hilarious. Because yeah. every time he's like, he, he he's just trying to explain. He's like, well, he was waving this watch in front of me, and then bam, then down yeah. they go. <laughs> Two seconds after looking at a fucking spinning watch, everyone's out. <laughs> and everybody ends up on the psychiatrist's couch, which was hilarious, too. It's just like after dealing with Costello and all that bullshit, everybody ends up going back to the psychiatrist. I saw two guys being drived by no guy. <laughs> How about when Costello first gets in there and he sits down at the desk of the psychiatrist and the guy and he says to Costello, he goes, why don't you come you know, lay down over here? He goes, why? He goes, don't you believe me when I'm sitting here? He told him. <laughs> <laughs> like, have you ever seen anybody disappear before this? Yes, my brother. It was like, oh, your brother disappeared into thin air? No, into a manhole. <laughs> <laughs> See, it's, it's it's corny, but it's funny. Like, Dave, do you appreciate, like, how do you feel? Because we're all sort of in tune with Abin Costello. How do you feel when you see these fucking spectacular routines, like the $500 bit, where where the girl gave... Oh, my God. Yeah, Abbott, $500, or Costello, $500 to bring the suitcase to Tommy in the, in the middle of the woods. He's like, wait a minute, where'd you get that $500? He's like, I'm not going to give this to you or the $500 the dame gave us. So he puts it in his pocket, and Costello's just grabbing it, taking it out, moving around, put it there and leave it there, and all that shit. Like, what do you think when you see that? <laughs> oh, I think it's great. And, of course, like I said before, I didn't know how about this type of comedy until then. You know, until I started watching these movies, and now I'm in the third one, so I'm getting familiar with it. But, oh, shit, I love it. I I love it. I mean, that's all I knew before this was the fucking who's on first thing. I heard, you know, I was turned on to that gag because of fucking third base, the old rap rap group. They used it in a freaking uh, one of their interludes. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? And I found out, and I said, oh, this is funny. Then I got started, and then here we go. Here's the progression of... You know, me being turned on to them. And now I'm three movies in. I'm like, man, this is fucking comedy gold. I really love it. Amazing. I'm so glad you do. Like, watching this for the first time and stuff and, like, really connecting, that's fucking brilliant, man. Yeah, I got lucky. Yeah, well, how could you not? I mean, it's it's a comedy, and I don't want to say in its simplest form because it's not simple. It's actually, you know, quite cleverly written. Oh, yeah. But it's just maybe in a basic form. I don't know. It's just, it's not what it is now. That's what it is. It's execution. It's chemistry. It's timing. And there are no two better people. I mean, you could study their shit now afterward, but they fucking are the pioneers. Like, you could do this now and get your timing perfect. But fuck, man, these guys, like, figured out how to do that. They're the ones. You know, that's the amazing part of all this. And it's so, and, they, and it's so well done and so perfectly har- honed in that it works 70 years later. Yeah, it's yeah. timeless. It's yeah, it's it timeless. timeless. You know, I mean, you will always find something funny about a guy going to put money in his pocket. Other guy opens up his pocket. Money goes into his pocket. And it's just like, it's like, 
put it there and leave it there. I said, I said, put it there and leave it there. But <laughs> I mean, that shit's funny. It's just funny. Yeah, it is. Uh, yeah, so uh, there's more insane moments, of course. Abbott, with Abbott Costello, it's almost not what the... It is still what the fuck, legitimately, but sometimes it's just wacky comedy. Like the scene where the, the, the main chief of police... They go into the hotel where the three of them are staying to look like high-class guys to get Boots Mars in over there and stuff like that. So the guy knocks on the door. Tommy's invisible, let's remember, when they're playing the card game. So they decide to hide him by covering him up with a sheet. How that makes any sense, I have no idea. It doesn't because he could just stand there and the guy would never know it. And I'm like, why are you hiding him? He's hidden. Right. right, right. You're hiding an invisible guy. Right. And he's squatting shaped like a body. Oh, yeah. And then he leans his elbow on him with a cup, like with a teacup, because that's going to complete the that's going to complete the illusion right there. (laughs) And they try to expose him and then they just get. They see nothing. No, they see a pile of what the robe he had on. They see the, like, literally, he could have just taken his robe off when the fucking guy knocked on the door. But no, we're going to cover you up in a sheet. Then when the guy comes and says, what the fuck is that? And he pulls the sheet off. Nothing will be taking up that space. And there will just be a pile of clothes on the floor. And everyone's okay with this. That's my laundry. That's my laundry. Oh, okay. (laughs) I'm out of here. You guys are nuts. Aren't you curious as how the fucking laundry was six feet in the air? It's just crazy to me. Right. Then you got the funny dinner scene where, where like, he's like, what do you want? Spaghetti and a steak. <laughs> oh, yeah. And a steak. <laughs> man, and then the invisible man gets fucking drunk. Yes. Oh, he yeah. gets drunk and starts taking everybody else's drinks and then <laughs> causing fights between people because they can't see that the invisible man took their drinks. So they're blaming Costello and then they're blaming Abbott and there's just fights all over the place. And I'm dying because this has really nothing to do with the plot of the film. Right. Like it doesn't even matter. But it's just so funny because they spend how long? How many hours are they in that restaurant? <laughs> <laughs> right. It's a whole thing. And him being drunk, you see the first signs of, like, his mind frame being a little skewed. You know, he's talking about his invisible empire and how he's going to get minions to follow him and everything else. Yeah. Yeah. And a steak. And then when that – wait. But then when the (laughs) food gets there, fucking invisible man is eating his spaghetti. Right. (laughs) The steak. Yeah. And I'm like, but you're eating his – get off my spaghetti. You ordered the steak. (laughs) But like he didn't, he didn't care. I mean, you could see at that point he was starting to slip because he's eating celery when the, when yeah. the waiter is standing right there. And then, and then Abbott goes to balance it on his finger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you say? I'm a juggler or something. I was a juggler. <laughs> Holy shit! And he's like, I'm a two fisted drinker. What's wrong with this one? <laughs> that that scene at the bar. That's a great segment. That whole situation. That that's one. Hey, of what are you doing on my drink? Oh, I, I I thought it was mine. Yeah, I heard that before. Yeah. I'm like, really? How many times has this happened to you? <laughs> <laughs> and the actual fight is fucking tremendous. When they get to the, you know, all that shit, the comedy, the physical the comedy of Costello is just phenomenal. You can't top the fight, man. No, no, it's incredible. And even when he's beating the shit out of Rocky Hanlon, the way Abbott looks over at Morgan, he's like, I, I don't know what he's doing. You know, like, well, that shit is just so funny, man. And then he's, like, getting panicky, wiping the sweat off his forehead because he's like, this guy fucking knocks him out. I'm a dead man. <laughs> and, and then they even want to still cross Tommy Nelson. Like, look, he's not even here. If he really cared, he'd be here. So just, t- just fucking go down in the third round. Hey, I'm right here. Oh, oh so sorry, Tommy. 
Abbott was kind of a bastard, though, the way he kept double-crossing him <laughs> when he didn't know Tommy was around. And he just, just he kept trying to double-cross. And then Costello's like, I didn't do nothing. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Mr. Nelson, I'd like to apologize. All right. For now on, we're in this together. Oh, he was easy going too, buddy. He's like, oh, I'm sorry. I'd like to apologize. Okay. You <laughs> <laughs> just double-crossed me twice, but whatever. <laughs> I think Abbott didn't know who to align himself with. Was he more concerned with fucking the trouble they were going to get into with the guys? Or, you know, who were they going to deal with? So he was like, well, I better play the safe route here. That, that's why he was acting that way, right? He even said, I'd rather argue with Tommy than deal with Morgan and his men. Right, right. right. Yeah, so there, there is that, that uh, tug of war right there, you know? It's like a fucking weirdo, invisible guy who's to his own shit, or am I going to be in trouble with the goddamn mob? You know, it was crazy, and I and I love with when we back to the like when you the stealing drink scene. I like how, well, I think Costello, uh, Tommy knocked some people out for Cost- when he was pouring the champagne in the boot and he was going to drink it out of the girl's boot. And I don't know why she just hands him her her slipper or whatever or her high heels and lets this guy do this, but he's pouring it onto a guy's head who doesn't react for the first fifteen seconds. <laughs> <laughs> he gets up and he's going to punch the guy, and then he just gets knocked on his ass. So Abbott figures. Oh, okay. And then he goes to do something, and he, he like, smirks because he thinks Tommy will knock the guy out. <laughs> the guy just <laughs> knocks Abbott right on his ass. <laughs> yeah, and how did she not know she was wearing, an op- like, an open-toe shoe and that it's not going to hold champagne? I mean, you, you got to know that kind of thing. But, yeah, and that was – how did that ever become a thing? I mean, that was a thing. I don't you know, know. That's kind of drinking nasty. champagne out of your out of your girl's slipper. I like. Mm. I don't even. I asked Brian. I'm like, would you drink champagne out of out of my slipper? He's like, no fucking way. You know. Right. Like, yeah. Jamie, you know what I'm about to say, right? But I'm not gonna say it. <laughs> but hold through that. <laughs> That's okay. I won't say nothing. So speaking of blood, <laughs> with the blood not that they face spilled in the first, <laughs> not not that. You don't go face first. No. Oh my god. <laughs> oh, what about that <laughs> joke? When um when they're dividing the money that Morgan paid to take the dive, and this is really poignant because uh, Costello goes one for me, one for you, one two three four for you, one for the, me. Oh yeah, and he goes, wait, what is this for? And he goes, that's the income tax, man. That's the income tax. Right. <laughs> right. You guys know that that was the downfall of their lives. Right, right. They had a fucking screwy uh like uh man uh money manager whatever you call those guys. Like. Everyone did back then. Jeez. I didn't they lost that. their houses. They got all fucked up. They lost oh, everything. But, but let's put it this way: Abbott was begging for money at his death, and people didn't <sighs> even give him any. What a fucking what a what a sad state of affairs. Really, they were the two highest paid actors in America, and this was during the time of uh, the um, depression. And mm. they were the two highest paid guys, the richest guys in the world uh, of, of actors, and then they're penniless. By the end of their life, because of that bullshit with the income. So how weird is that that they did a, a tax joke? Were they doing it intentionally? Was it was it a statement because that had already gone down, or is it weird just because that ended up happening to them? I don't know. At this late in their career, it could have already gone down. That, that's what I'd be thinking. What right? year was this movie? Fifty one. Mm, I'm not sure. It might have been right around, right around that time because oh. they broke up for the first time. Or it might have been 51. Ah, hell, I don't know. They broke up for a time, and then they got back. And then they broke up finally again and amicably in 57, I think it was. Yeah, the timing was gone. The magic wasn't there anymore. Damn. 
Yeah, but they had a, they had rough going in the fifties. Oh yeah, it's bad in the fifties, man. So, what do you guys think of the whole end battle scene? The fucking the whole thing in the dressing room and the Invisible Man and the steam comes out and the guy throws the knife at him. No, it was very very cool actually. You know the fact that him, the Invisible Man is jumping around the room, basically taunting the dude with the gun, telling him to shoot left and right, and then you got Costello flipping out because you know he's gonna hit me with this thing because he's standing in front of him, dancing around, you know into the steam and then the steam flying up so you could see him and then the knife in the chest dude it was awesome yeah and and that guy morgan that gangster he's in a lot of shit right right i can't i can't picture what he's been in but i know i've seen him yeah we'll we'll look him up on uh, imdb and see his most famous stuff he's in he's in also a lot of other abbott costellos he's in a lot of twilight zones a lot of stuff i do have a what the fuck moment though what the first time tommy goes invisible and Costello is standing there talking to him, and he notices because he goes to to shake his hand, <laughs> and then suddenly his hand isn't there, and he's grabbing at the thin air. I'm like, okay, just because you can't see him doesn't mean his hand isn't there. <laughs> so that was a cl- – but that's the only time they ever – that I can think of that they ever make that mistake in this film because um, other times he's completely solid because he's punching people right you know right, so he is sure. is clearly there but that time he just his hand just goes away completely that's like, the that's only not one right how mm. about when fucking costello ends up invisible after the blood transfusion and his <laughs> legs are on backwards <laughs> oh, oh no that's right, fucked right. up that's fucked up <laughs> and then oh i think it's hilarious he goes running out totally naked Right, um, but how would that happen? You no, know, it, wouldn't. It, it wouldn't. He's like, oh, my legs are on backwards, and he does that weird backwards walk thing. It's goofy looking. You know, like like I do when I have blood on my knee. Yeah, <laughs> right, and you look like Mac and me. <laughs> you look like <laughs> Mac and me. And he's walking out backwards. Huh? Yeah, no, that makes, no sense. It makes no sense at all, because, because he would have gone invisible. His legs aren't going to be backwards. So that was retarded. That's weird. They did a lot of weird shit for the end gag of every every episode. Well, I have a problem with this, though, unless I miss something. But the resolution, all of a sudden, when that, that situation with the steam and the knife and all that shit in, in, in the dressing room, all of a sudden the fucking the cops come in. Or was it the cops? Mm-hmm. Okay, they come in, and for no reason, I, I want to say it was Abbott. He just said, these men killed O'Hara. Lock them up. And they just... And they just do it. Okay, Where was the proof? They just locked them up. Right. You could have said that about any two assholes in that room. These are the real killers. Lock them up. Okay. Is that what happened, or did I miss something? No, that's what happened. Okay. All right. Makes you think of how many innocent people were put behind bars back then. They didn't. Oh, all what right. What the fuck? Right. Hey, uh, this is something, Alex, you may know. If anyone else besides me is going to pick up on this, it's you. Who is the announcer in the when they're in the gymnasium? Remember when they're doing the thing with the, the speed bags and all that shit? That thing we were talking about before? Did you happen to recognize the guy that was doing the announcing? Uh, I did, and I looked him up. He's the guy from the fucking Rocky movies. I I knew his voice right away. As soon as he said, blah, 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 because there was someone in the ring named Rocky. And he said something else, Rocky, you know, because of how they do in the Rocky first. Ah, From the sprouting city of Philadelphia, Rocky Balboa, Apollo Creed, all. That announcer must have fucking done it for years, because I've seen those Rocky movies so many fucking times, like you. That as soon as I heard him doing the announcement, I'm like, what the fuck? This is the same guy from Rocky. Wow. So 25 years later, he was doing the same fucking shtick. Yeah. Yeah. 
He had, he had a great voice. It really made this movie authentic. He's like, check this, watch this boy. I'm the one who, who discovered something, something. So watch this boy. <laughs> that was funny shit, man. So yeah, this movie is just uh, perfect. You know, they did bend reality for the end gag, but that happens sometimes. It's like, whatever. I mean, it makes zero sense whatsoever, but what the fuck are you going to do? You just kind of let things go sometimes, because who cares? One end gag is not going to change anything about this movie, so... Uh, yeah, well done, well executed, great physical comedy. A couple miss like I don't even know how the fucking how they did a blood transfusion on a guy that you can't see. How the fuck did you know where his veins were? Like, how could you even get the blood in the guy? I don't even understand. But whatever, things like that really are not important. That's just you know after the fact, being a Monday morning quarterback. So, how do you rate this movie, Jamie Jenkins? Uh, this is another four point five. Yes. Just because I have such a, an intense love for the Invisible Man, I think the effects were fantastic, and it was just there were some really, really funny gags, really good stuff. Yep, strong all the way through. Uh, Dave Z. Uh, yeah, a lot of fun. Um, love the um, the physical comedy with the boxing and all that shit, and pretty easy to follow for the most part. I wasn't as intrigued uh, with the plot as maybe with the whodunit, even though it got confusing. But overall, very good, and, and this is four stars. Cool. Ryan. Uh, as far as me, I don't know. I loved pretty much everything about this movie. It, it, I was cracking up through the whole thing. I loved the Invisible Man, all the gags that go along with it. It was it was good. I didn't quite like it as much as you know the Frankenstein one. So this is a four point five, absolutely. Wow. So if any of us say five, what we're saying is that we love it as much as Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. Um. Well, no, I think you can just love it. Yeah, you could just... Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, because, okay, it's five for me. I love it. I think it's really well done. I saw it for more than what I ever saw it before this time around. I really appreciate it. I had a great time. Uh, I think they just really wrote this well, really fit those two guys in this movie. They, believe it or not, this was supposed to be um, a sequel, just another movie in the Invisible Man series. And they took the script and inserted Abbott Costello and to think that they did that and yet still had such great comedic aspects and right. things like that is incredible that's they deserve props for that so this to me is a five so uh, now to me this is like a peak it was almost like you're at the top you swing a little low you go right back to the top and now determines uh, however you feel about this movie the next movie coming up is does it go really low and go up or does it just do a little dip again? So we'll find out with Abbott and Costello meet Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde coming up right after this. Terror stalks the streets of London. The most dreaded monster of them all strikes again and panic sweeps the city. But two men of intrepid daring fight back. Bud Abbott and Lou Costello meet Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, co-starring Boris Karloff, twice as menacing as ever. Terror becomes turmoil and the laughs get terrific when Bud and Lou trap the beast among a bevy of beauties and get lost in a house of horrors that would frighten even Frankenstein. Come on, come on! Come on, will you? We can catch the monster! Give me a hand! Come on! <laughs> It'll scare you right out of your theater seat. Bud Abbott and Lou Costello meet Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. An uproarious riot from beginning to end. 
Alright guys, we are here with Abbott and Costello meet Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. This is 1953, once again, two years after the last horror installment of Abbott and Costello. So Boris Karloff plays Dr. Henry Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, and uh, there's other people in this movie. So, the uh, storyline is Slim and Tubby, who are Abbott and Costello, are American cops in London to study police tactics. They wind up in jail and are bailed out by Dr. Jekyll. Jekyll has been murdering fellow doctors who laugh at his experiments. That's all it takes, guys. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> he has more murders in mind. At one point, the serum that turns Jekyll into the murderous hide gets injected into Tubby. What really happens is uh, there's a women's movement and Dr. Jekyll's, um, I guess he's taking care of this girl since she was a kid. I don't know what happened to her parents. Um, so now she's like a woman. She's like 30. And uh, there's like... She's hot. She's hot. She's into women's rights. And so am I. You have the right to fuck me. No, I was kidding. No. Uh, <laughs> unless you're on your period. <laughs> then this newspaper reporter... Uh, is hitting on her, and they both fall for each other rather quickly. <laughs> yeah, I'll see. Very quickly. And Dr. Jekyll is um, peeved about this because he actually believes <laughs> that he has a chance. He has a chance with a dime piece. Uh, at this point, <laughs> Boris Karloff is like 80 years old or something. Mm, yeah. And he really believes that he was always like if you really think you have a chance with this girl like why wouldn't you have tried this at 22 or 25 why is she so old and you still have not made your move what are you waiting for right i'd say it's the formula you know what i mean it's corrupting him it's making him (laughs) have evil thoughts yeah good call like maybe he never felt that way before or maybe he felt that way but he said well it's obviously a pipe dream i'm not gonna get with this chick but yeah, maybe the formula and all that fucked up his mind, and he yeah. Not to mention, he's like a father figure to her, and that's just right. creepy. Right? Yeah. What is she, Sun Yi? He's like, I've been in love with you since you. I've been in love with you since you were a little girl. Okay, that's creepy. Okay, Woody Allen, what's going on? <laughs> exactly, man. Yeah, it's fucked. It's funny. So uh, yeah, that's that's the overall thing. Now there are issues here. Yeah, there are. The one glaring mm-hmm. omission here. Dr. Jekyll, the point of Dr. Jekyll is that he's a nice, normal guy. And only when you inject him with serum does he become someone even willing to kill anybody. It shouldn't even be on his mind until he does this. But in this movie, Dr. Jekyll is already a very fucking cynical guy who who just seems to look for an excuse to actually act. He, he wants to kill people anyway because you laughed at me or you want to fuck my girl, this girl I want to marry and shit like that, or marry her, believe it or not. And then, uh, so I'm just going to eject myself so that as a monster, I have the power to do this. It's not even, it doesn't even play to the actual character of Dr. Jekyll. Well, it does, it does in a way, because if you follow that story, okay, this thing starts off with it saying that this madman has been running around. He's killed a few people. He's gone around and he's been running around killing. Everybody's afraid of it. Everybody's worried about this, which means he's been doing this for a while. In the story of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, through you 
using this serum multiple times, it is physically corrupting his mind. Okay. He's becoming closer to this darker side even when he's not transformed because he's delving into it so much. So this is at a later point. You know, he's an older looking guy at this point. So it's at that phase. Hmm. Okay. You get the – you get um, firsthand knowledge that he's been doing this for a while thanks to – a bum named Exposition that, uh, <laughs> that they meet in the very beginning of the film when he's just like wakes up the bum and he's like, oh, and then he starts telling him like, oh, this monster has been terrorizing the city and no one knows who it is. And they haven't been and like, hello, Exposition. Why? <laughs> Matter of fact, there's a women's rights movement right over there. My wife's there. <laughs> <laughs> and then the guy has a normal. He's just he just leans on his own knee and says, yeah, I know uh, he's been killing a lot of people around here. <laughs> That sure he is, but he's not as crazy as my wife. She wonders where, like, where the fuck is so you guys both just sleeping? The <laughs> <laughs> well, that's not even the beginning of the problems I have with this movie, though. One of the first one being that Abbott and Costello don't even show up until six minutes and 55 minutes and seconds into this film. Right. And that's because I was timing going, where the fuck is Abbott and Costello? Where oh, are stop. Abbott and Costello? Where? And then I'm like, so then I'm like, you know what, Brian, when they, when they finally show up, give me a timestamp. 6.55, they show up. But only for like a minute because then they get thrown in jail and we don't see them again for a whole bunch of other time. In fact, in the, throughout the entire runtime of this movie, they're in it for 49 minutes and change. What, were you have a stopwatch with you? I did. I was stop watching whenever I did. What? I pulled the exact same thing. I, I, did, I pulled the exact same thing I did with Pinhead, Pinhead in the later installment and in later installments of oh Hellraiser. I was running a stopwatch, and every time they were on the screen, I was hitting it. And um, because they just weren't, they were absent for a huge chunks of this movie. Now, toward uh, when we, you know when they finally started doing the, the the you know them looking for the monster and all that, then they were in it for significant amounts of time. But in the beginning of this film, they were nowhere to be seen. There was this other there was that horrible musical number that we had in the beginning with the suff- with the suffragettes which doesn't make any sense at all because hey, we want to give women the vote. Look at our legs. Exactly. Right. What the- <laughs> that makes no sense. You know, so no. that that really horrible and even if that, even if it did make sense, the musical number itself was really bad. Uh, and like her voice, what, like the voice dubbing for that was, was terrible. But did you hear what they were saying when they were dancing around? Basically, saying, "Okay, you, no more kisses, no more hugs, no more rubs, no more this, unless you vote us to have equal rights." Wow! Right, it goes against everything they're trying to fucking stand. Right, up. it's like, see these legs <laughs> swinging around here. You want to fuck this, right? Well, unless you vote us equal rights, you can't have any. <laughs> and how about them? <laughs> that musical segment they go into. Holy fuck. Uh, oh, man. I just forward that shit now. Like, it, dude, you it think that's... It's just so funny, you know? It is out of nowhere. Try watching regular Abbott Costello movies. They have these fucking Andrew sisters in every one of their goddamn movies, dude. Really? Man, I love the Andrew I sisters. I like the Andrew sisters myself. Right, right. Not the 50th time you watch a movie. Well, yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, no, their music. I love their music, but... Sure. Uh, yeah. You don't want to interrupt the movie for seven minutes with it, though. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. They did it here. And then we've got that whole – we get this entire huge plot going on with the, the chick and the newspaper guy. And they're, they're falling in love in about seven minutes. And then they're going to get married mm-hmm. the next day. And then by the time we get through all of the stuff with the monster and Abbott Costello and all that at the end, that plot point is completely tossed out the window. Right. It just doesn't even matter 
Yes, it does. What are you talking about? The the plot point of him being with the chick? That's the whole ending. It's not. It is the. It comes back in the end, but it's like it's for the entire middle of the movie. They disappear. But so what? Because it doesn't. I mean, which just goes to show it didn't have to be there to begin yes, with. Yes, it did. No, it didn't. What? Jamie, no. are you sure you're not looking for problems? I want to like these movies. I have no problem with that. This one was just a huge disappointment to me because it was. I felt like everything. Their fuck. Even their names were cheap. They couldn't even come up with good names. So there's like, yeah, whatever. Slim and Tubby. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we don't have time for that. You know, I just I felt like they okay. They used the same lab that they used in Meet Frankenstein. They used the same the the same wax museum that they used in Meet Frankenstein. I clearly I feel like there was no budget put into this, no care. Like they just didn't give a shit and they were being as lazy as they possibly could about the entire thing. And that's how it comes off to me. Wow. Mm. They had they, set pieces. They I even think. ditched the animation in the beginning and you get yes. a still photo. That was shitty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. The beginning of this was nothing like the others. It was a yeah. I yeah. see this one more like a Boris Karloff vehicle. Basically. I do too, and I and to mm-hmm. me, it felt like the Abbott and Costello were just sort of thrown in there because even when we get into the, you get some of the same gags like with the oh he sees the monster, Abbott doesn't see the monster, and then you right. know that's gonna be there because that's who they are. But then beyond that, I just felt like it was like they were tacked on. Like I just it I don't know the whole thing seemed like a mess to me. Like it just didn't seem as cleverly written as cleverly portrayed. Uh, or it, I don't know. I mean, the other films to me were much higher quality, and this one just didn't make any sense. Yeah, the I effects mean, it, were shitty too. Oh my god, the dissolves in this were so oh, bad. They were every time bad. he would change into Hyde, and every time yeah. when when Costello would change into the mouse. Yeah, you know? uh, yeah. I thought there was a cat. I had um, no idea. Yeah. It was a it's, it's every time they would do those those dissolves. It was like they didn't even give a shit. You could see. From one dissolve into the next, you could see them lay- layering on top of one another. When right. in previous right. films, when they did that with the Wolfman, right. and it was beautiful, yeah. it was seamless. Yeah. It made for a funny scene, though that rabbit or whatever the fuck it was with when he went to the bar, and you know, it made for a good ten. What minutes. is this yeah. mouse doing with us? Right, it made for a good ten minutes. Yeah, it was a good segment, definitely. It's not a you know. I'm not shitting on the movie. It's not a total loss. It just wasn't on the par as the other ones. That, that that's all. I mean, it had its funny moments. It yeah. did. It, it is did. not anywhere near the quality of the other ones, to, in my opinion. No, well, it's a kinda, step down. I kind of enjoyed the whole thing after uh, Costello ends up getting injected about five times in the ass. <laughs> <laughs> he ch- and uh, he changes and he's running around town. And you got the person at the police station collecting all these reports of where it is. And he's just putting these pins all over the place. He's over here. Now he's over here. Now he's over here. And just basically getting all frustrated by that. You know, I enjoyed that stuff. He looked like fucking Rocky Dennis looking where he's going to ride his Harleys. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> You're so stupid, Ben. <laughs> Fucking weirdo. Yeah, it, it's crazy. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I see what Jamie's... I think it's nice that Jamie would like more Abbott Costello, but I don't know. I mean, I am locked into what's happening here. I'm not really, like, wondering... Call me crazy for wanting more Abbott and Costello in my Abbott and Costello movie. I'm, I guess I'm just a nut. I think 50 minutes is a lot. I don't know. Well, not when they don't show up for the first seven. 
Well, maybe that is just got maybe that just got into your head that it took long to start it. So then all of a sudden you were sort of preoccupied with well, where are yeah. They? But even then we saw him for like a minute, and I was being generous. I gave him a minute and a half, but I, that was that was way over how much we time we spent with them in that first segment. And then they ended up in jail, and we didn't see him again for a whole bunch of time. I mean, so this it film, was just big gaps with no Abbott and Costello. It's this film started the way it should have. It started with Jack the Ripper, not Jack the Ripper. The hell am I talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Jekyll out there killing somebody and then you that's the way this film should have worked that's how it should have started but once again yeah it goes way too long before they're introduced into this thing he just went up to him touched his neck and then the guy fell and he was dead right and then that was the newest murder that was in the newspaper right right that's how this film should have started and that's so it started how it should have right it's just introducing them the main fucking characters to this movie took 20 fucking years wow i never thought about that it did i mean it took way too long and then when you finally see them you don't get much time with them and they seem inconsequential at that moment they seem like background characters when they show up for the first mm. time as cops they seem like they're right at that time like you know they're background characters at that and, point yeah. and you're not focusing on but that's them. cool because you're you're in their this is just things going on in their life that's not cool because but it's they, not their life that we're watching it's somebody else that we're watching mm, and i want them and they don't really affect the story really every time they try to bring right. something to someone's attention they would go check it out and it wouldn't be there anymore but that's classic right so and in the end like they didn't even crazy. they weren't even the ones to catch the monster so i even i even said that when we watched this i even said Look, so in so basically what I'm taking away from this is that their presence in this film meant nothing at all as far as the plot went. They were completely unimportant. Right. D Dave, do you feel this way? I feel that way to a degree. I, I don't think that um, – it did bother me, yes, because it, it's an obvious – well, it's an obvious shift in tone from the three previous, and it's, it's just a change because – just like, you know, they're not there in the beginning. The other ones focused around them. In the first five minutes, we were introduced to them and this and that. It's hard to explain. But like, like, like Jamie said, they come in for a minute, and then they're taken away. Then they're brought back. I personally, for me, there was good moments of comedy and things like that. And But it just, they felt like a little bit more of an afterthought. But is that what you're really supposed to be thinking about? Are you supposed to be watching what's happening in the movie, though? Well, check it out. What was happening in the movie wasn't pulling me in. Really? I don't know if it Boris was... Boris Karloff scenes were not pulling you in. I was. I didn't understand why this guy, that the Jekyll and Hyde character that I knew was someone that, like you said at the beginning, he didn't want to be bad. He was a good guy, and then the, the Hyde took over, and he went and did these things. I didn't understand his why he was evil to begin with and what he was doing. I, there, there's no sympathy towards him. So who are you supposed to be sympathetic for in the plot? There's there's no one you pull for. It, it isn't the same as the other ones were. It's just I didn't I didn't have the same feel. Granted, when Abbott and Costello are on, on the screen, for the most part, they're the same old Abbott and Costello. They're fine. They had some good gags. It was good. It just seemed like less of that. And maybe I'm just not into that. There was really nice set pieces, okay? But maybe I'm just not into that type of... What I don't know what you want to call it. Old Victorian horror. It's not my cup of tea. I know a lot of people love that shit. It doesn't really resonate with me. Maybe one day it will as I get older. I don't know. I just... I am not as passionate about that as I am... I don't know. Other types of horror. And, and this scene is just different. 
Look at the other places we saw them. The boxing thing and the thing with the gangsters or whoever, you know, a murder mystery in, in the other one and, and everything, that, all the monsters in part one, they were much more intriguing than... Wow, I loved this. I loved London. I loved Dr. Jekyll's house. I loved the bar scene. I loved uh, the, the, the wax museum. I loved the fucking rooftop shit. I loved the fucking, the, 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 the place where they do their plays. I love that shit. Like, I can't believe that you guys are saying this. Like, those are such amazing set pieces. Yes, they were. And two of those set pieces had already been used in a previous film. Yeah, but so what? And so, and, and it brings you back there. They brought it back. That may have been nice if I was watching a film strictly about Jekyll and Hyde, but I wasn't. I was watching Abbott and Costello meet Jekyll and Hyde. I want more Abbott and Costello. I just came off three previous films where we got filled to the brim with the comedy joy that I get from Abbott and Costello. And here I felt totally robbed. This is not what I wanted. This is not what it should have been, and they felt like an afterthought. Karloff, Jamie, when he's like – He's like, well, once uh, blah blah drove you to around, once he could drive you all over the rest of London to see no, all the rest of you. That was funny. Yeah, I, I laughed out loud at that. It's so I did. That was funny. Hey, looks. I like the wax museum bit. I like that whole segment. That was good. And the whole thing with when he got turned into that whatever the fuck the mouse. Right. That was funny so too. So funny, and especially when he's like, "Look, mouse hole. That's what you must have drank." <laughs> it was classic. <laughs> That was funny. Yeah, that was great. I love that and he, stuff. And he kept getting them drunk and stuff. But, okay, so let's get to the Wax Museum. There's a really important issue here. It depends how into this you are. Like, you got to be fucking way into it like I am to, to give a shit. And you guys might after I kind of bring it to your attention. Now, it's a big deal who plays Frankenstein in every movie. Mm-hmm. Now, I always wondered who the fuck was playing Frankenstein. You can no longer say he's a wax figure because he's moving. Yeah, his legs are moving, right? <laughs> Some actor played him, and oddly enough, the lightning didn't even like go. Dzz. He actually moved like a second before it actually did that. So th- right, right, that was pretty funny. So that's one of my what the fuck moments. Okay, mm-hmm. a wax statue can walk when it gets electrocuted. Right, 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 right. So I looked far and wide. There is no record of who played this fucking character, but somebody found something. Okay, who was the actor masquerading as the monster this time? The man's name, unfortunately, was not included in the cast list compiled at Universal. The late film historian George Turner tentatively identified the actor as a bit player named Chuck Hamilton. George's memory is always, like, spot on. He almost never makes a mistake. That's who it is. So, anyway, I thought one flaw Jamie was going to point out is that Boris Karloff, in no fucking way, was this goddamn monster when he was the monster. Oh, it's no no fucking way. (laughs) It's actually a guy named Eddie Parker. He also played the mummy in Abbott Costello Meet the Mummy. And he doubled for Lon Chaney when he was the mummy in all three of those movies. Eddie Parker was the double whenever things got too crazy. So that's who played him during once he became the monster. But here, okay, here's the fucking what the fuck moment. So Dr. Jekyll, uh, Costello tricks him. He locks him in the jail cell inside of the wax museum. They go out. It's the old gag. Nobody sees it except for Costello. They come back. It's Dr. Jekyll now. He's like, you idiot. You locked up one of the most, you know, uh, well-known guys, the most respected citizen, blah, blah. So he goes, it is the monster. Just look at the ring. And he goes, I wear no ring. Blah, blah, blah. Mm. Okay. The ring is what we're going to identify. Like, 
You're claiming that there was a monster here. It is now Dr. Jekyll. But because you saw a ring on his hand, if Dr. Jekyll holds his hand up and there's a ring there, you're right, Tubby. That is the monster. You're right. We're locking him <laughs> up. Holy shit. And so, number one, what the fuck kind of logic is that even? To, to That is ridiculous. Number two, how did Dr. Jekyll know to hide the ring? How did he know he would even notice it? See, that's a good, that's exactly what I thought, too. And when would he have noticed it? Like, are you, if this monster is chasing you, are you going to stop and go, oh, look at that ring? Right. It is just, yeah, that's makes up. no sense at all. <laughs> Jekyll, you know, the, the, these, this guy and this girl only known each other for one day, and they decide they want to get married now. And Dr. Jekyll, you know, confesses that he wants to marry her. He's been in love with her all this time. She cannot go with any other guy. Um, so then he goes to inject himself right in front of it. And here's the other thing. Dr. Jekyll injects himself as the monster. How does he just leave his house and go running around town to go kill everybody? Nobody sees him. Right. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Why wouldn't you inject yourself right before you, like, at their house in the backyard do it? And then just go right into their house? Like, how do you make it through town and travel all over as this monster? Well, didn't you see him? He was ducking into alleyways and mm, hiding yeah. behind walls and and using oh, his cape, yeah. much like Dracula did. <laughs> yeah, it's not too suspicious. No, no. <laughs> no one would notice anything like that. No, that's perfectly normal. I'd walk right past him. Yeah. So, uh... All the panic ensues. Everybody shows up. Abby gets stabbed in the ass with the fucking needle. Now he is the do- uh, Mr. Hyde, and Mr. Hyde is Mr. Hyde. They're running around, a big chase. We get some more comedy. That's it, I mean. And then Dr. Jekyll goes to climb up a wall into a window, falls to his death, dies. Costello gets brought to the police. He says, I found the monster. He goes, oh, this will get you back on the force if you did. He bites all the other police, and then all of a sudden... Uh, they show him, and it's just Costello. He's like, you idiot, blah, blah, I shouldn't have listened to you. They turn around, and everybody's now a Mr. Hyde. Which makes no fucking sense. No. <laughs> Did they get an injection from his teeth? No. <laughs> Is it the st- it's not fucking rabies. And it's not a vampire. Right. Or a werewolf, for that matter. Or a zombie. Or anything right. that that mm-hmm. works for so does that? So that's another stretch for an end gag. Now it's two in a row. He, they did that for Invisible Man. They did that for this, and I think in the next movie there's another gag. Yeah, at least his legs were on the right way. Yeah. This music again was stolen from Abbott Costello meet Frankenstein, but this time it works perfect. It works well with it. Yeah, yeah way better than the other one. Yeah, I'll, I'll agree with that. Yeah. So I'm, I'm curious, Ryan. What do you think about this? What's your rating? Uh, you know, I've got some issues with this one. Not not too many. It's just I wanted more Abbott and Costello in my Abbott and Costello movie. I uh, enjoy Karloff in this film. I really like him. Whenever I see him on screen, I dig him. But I think it's a significant step down from what's come before it. I, I don't think this is a bad movie. And this might be one of those movies, if I watch it a few more times, I might like it even more. But at this point, eh, I'd say 3.5. Jamie, I'm afraid to ask. You should be. <laughs> okay, when Abbott and Costello were on the screen, uh, they were being themselves and they were funny. 
there were some there were some funny moments. I really did laugh out loud at the at the the carriage scene where Karloff is like, so he's like, yeah, oh, that sounds great. So then I'm sure my driver won't mind driving you around the rest of London so you can see all your other friends. You know, <laughs> right, right. that was funny. You know, I enjoy Karloff. I enjoy London. I enjoy the Gothic feel. However, that's it's not. It doesn't did not feel like uh, your average Abbott and Costello film to me. I just don't think that there was. I mean, you heard me. You heard all the bitching I had about it before. Consequently, I found it kind of a slog. I found it really difficult to stay interested to the end, and uh, so that lands me at about a two point five. What? Yeah, I really just don't like it. Wow, Dave. God, I feel like. Can we just skip this segment? No, skip. All right, go ahead. <laughs> what do you think, we said Dave? Our good. We said our good and we said our bad, and I said the same thing. I There's there's good and there's bad. The good, they're, they're, there's too little of the good. That's the problem. They're not they're not around enough, and the bits just, there isn't enough like there is in the other movies. They're just, it, it, it's lacking a little bit there. Now, it's probably a, it's a little, my personal tastes are going to figure in a little bit because... I've never been a big fan of like the gothic uh, horror and th- that type of stuff. It's yeah, it's just not. It's never resonated with me. I wish it did. I wish I loved all aspects of horror equally. Unfortunately, I don't. It's never really been my thing. And the Jekyll and Hyde thing has never really interested me. So going into it, I was like, hmm, well, okay, I've been a Costello. We'll probably save it. I don't care so much about Jekyll and Hyde, but whatever. Um, all in all, I, I it's okay. It's okay. It's not terrible, but um, it's you know it's not like the other ones were. So it's a step down, and I actually am giving it the same rating as Jamie, two and a half. Woo! Cop out. Yeah, the cop out of all things. Yep. Wow. You know why? Because the because Abbott and Costello were good, but the other stuff not as good. Really? You don't really think it was good? Wow. I just don't get into the plot like I did with the other ones. I wasn't. No, I get it. I get it. Yeah. Wow. Huh. Well. I probably won't watch it again. Wow. I will, however, watch the David Hasselhoff stage performance of Jekyll and Hyde again. If you guys haven't seen that, that is awesome. I have seen it. it is <laughs> <laughs> um, wow. I'm just shocked to hear all this. It's disappointing because, um, yeah, I understand. The uh, There's not many laughs. There's not many scares, quote-unquote. I don't know. I love the atmosphere. I love the settings. I love the scenes in the, uh, you know, the, the playhouse. I love the scenes. I love Dr. Jekyll's house. I love that whole feeling. Wow, it's hard to say. I mean, I was literally going to give this a 4.5. Wow. So give it a point four point five. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like you guys kind of messed my head up or something. Like, <laughs> oh, <laughs> if you enjoy it, you enjoy it. That's all that matters. I really do. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I've seen it so many times. And plus, I love all of Karloff's scenes. I thought he did great. I love the music, how it worked with this, and I really saw it that way this time. How it fits so much better than the other movie. Yeah, I'll, I'll give it a four point five, and and I'll do that with the acknowledgement that you guys are right. Uh, on some aspects that yes it's not the same and there are things lacking but um, I don't know I guess I'm just really into those two guys and I, I'm really into Carlock and all that so yeah that's, that's I'm really into them too I wish they were in it <laughs> I don't know alright <laughs> so there you go this is a very uh, you know I guess it depends on whose opinion you normally go with so there you go we'll be right back 
whereas Abbott Costello wrap it up, no pun intended, <laughs> uh, with Abbott and Costello meet the mummy, the final uh, Abbott and Costello chapter? meet the Yeah, final chapter of this whole saga. So we'll be right back. The mummy will find you. You'll howl as you follow Bud and Lou in a strange land where exotic dancers perform ancient rituals. You'll scream at this mystic world of mad magic and uproarious adventure. Does this mean anything to you? It means death to whoever holds it. Starring Bud Abbott and Lou Costello with sultry Marie Windsor giving you your first look inside Costello. Turn off the lights. Let's stop fooling and cut them off. And Peggy King, George Goebel's TV girlfriend. You blew in from the Middle West and certainly impressed the population hereabouts. Imagine Lou trying to be charming to a snake. And Bud at the end of his rope. Blowing. Your nerves will jangle as they tangle with terror, meddle with murder, and try to elude a curse 4,000 years old. All right, guys, this is Abbott and Costello Meet the Mummy. This is 1955, which means I don't know because I lost my paper of Abbott and Costello Meet Dr. Jekyll. <laughs> so I don't know what that far this is from the other one, but whatever. I think it's like two years later. I thought I think Jekyll was 53, wasn't it? Oh, okay. Maybe. I don't, I, for some reason, I don't have my paper. I believe so. Jekyll was 53. Yep. Jamie, you were the most disappointed in Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde with Evan Costello. So how do you feel uh, we're going with the peaks and valleys here? Um, I think this one starts climbing back up the peak. Cool. After how I feel about Jekyll and Hyde, it's really hard not to. What did they do right that Dr. Jekyll didn't do right? They had Abbott and Costello. That was that was that was a big one. Uh, there there were I think there were a lot of really fun gags in this one. At one point, you had three mummies running around, <laughs> and even though the mummies didn't look good, I mean, they no, looked they did. really they bad. Yeah. Actually, someone on IMDb <laughs> compared the mummy face to leftover egg roll, which I think is pretty. <laughs> I think is pretty accurate. 
um, the the mummy looked terrible, and you could actually see that it was like a one piece costume that they were wearing. But mm-hmm. I did love the fact that you had three mummies running around, two of them real people, one of them the mum the actual mummy, and yet they would they would end up scaring each other. But then you could always tell which one was the real mummy because he's like, yeah. you know. the, the um, two would be afraid of the real mummy. Yeah. Um, and we have this uh, – one of my favorite gags ever is when they're digging a hole in the sand, and he's like, here, what do you want to dig with? Take your pick. And that so, was great. So yeah. Abbott take, – he, he takes his pick, which is the shovel. He picks the shovel, and then he's like, that's not a, that's not a pick. That's a shovel. And he's like, you told me to take my pick. That's the my shovel's pick. my pick. But it's not a pick. That's a shovel. And, <laughs> and so then he takes, them from, he takes them from Costello and says, here, take your pick. So Costello takes the pick, and he's like, see, your pick is the pick. He's like, but <laughs> – that, but that's the only pick. The other one's a shovel. <laughs> yeah, that was great. And it's just – that's one of my favorite gags because that's funny. And then we have the gag where they're eating the hamburgers and he hides the medallion yeah. in the hamburger. Yeah, and they're s- swapping them back and forth. Yeah. Um, it's ridiculous and it's the best because – Oh, it's totally funny. The way they look at each other. Like once they look at it, they look at the other one like that, that snide look like this fucking guy put this thing back in my burger. And that it's like they're they both know what they're doing, yet they're not just gonna look at each other and go, dude, why the fuck are you giving this thing to me again? No, they're gonna sit there and go, she's not as pretty as that girl over there, and they will turn completely around to look at her and hear, <laughs> like, what the. F-? And the fact that Costello would actually bite this burger <laughs> and still chew through this fucking medallion. Oh, and fuck. then bite it repeatedly. And, I bite mean, it, and then he says, can I see yours? And he bites <laughs> his and it's perfect. And then goes back and eats it anyway. Abbott lets him eat the burger. Right. right. <laughs> So and then funny. to get the the X-ray scene where they're trying, he said, or she's like, "Where's the medallion? Give me the medallion. I can't give it to you. I ate it. You ate it with ketchup." <laughs> <laughs> Which he clearly did not put ketchup on that burger. He put salt and pepper on salt it. Salt and pepper. You know. And then no, no, that sauce is how he got it in the burger. Oh, that's right. He dumped it on there. It must have been ketchup, I guess. Oh, that's right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but then so they sh- shake him up <laughs> to see him. Yeah, they're spinning him like a roundhouse. Yeah. And he threw him through the ceiling. That was so funny. Yeah, this movie is chock full of fucking bits. Like, uh, this is the last Abbott Costello movie for Universal Pictures. So they probably said, let's throw everything at him but the kitchen sink. Right. Like, mm-hmm. every gag in the world is in here. And then they're including them using their real names, even though that's not how they were credited in the film, um, they still they call each other Bud and Abbott and Lou and all throughout, and you get the classic "Hey Abbott," yeah, you know, <laughs> which you've been waiting for, uh, you know, through all of them. If you're an Abbott and Costello fan, you wait for that, and then but you know that you're not going to hear it because that's never their names, and only in this one you do get to finally hear the "Hey Abbott." <laughs> well, what do you guys think of the overall production here? Now, to me. I- I always, whenever I picture this movie, I think of it as the cheap movie of the five monster movies because it's the lighting. The lighting is very bright. It is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? There's not much shadow here. And I don't know how to, accre- to credit that. Like, I don't know what that means. Is it a poor production? Well, I, I was thinking about that while I was watching this. And even though you do have – and like this, the, the outside set with the sand is clearly a set. It is, and it's a very cheap set. 
But then you have you have all these people uh, like for the dance numbers dressed in you know costume and full regalia. You right. know they actually right. made sarcophagi to put the mummies in. You know I mean they clearly did put money in it somewhere. So I guess maybe they had to cut corners in other places because they wanted to to spread it around. But um, I mean they you know. I really dug the dance numbers. Oh, that they yeah. Had, Dude, you know, when they're beating one- the shit out of each other. Oh, yeah. Remember that? Yeah. There was like a dance thing where they got where they slap each other around and throw each other and shit. But what about like that look, that, that bright look? Do you think that they're trying to convey like tan, sand, brightness, big, empty? Yeah, that's yep. exactly what I got from it. They're trying to show, okay, the heat of that place. So obviously the sun is bright, so everything's fucking bright. Right. I think that's what that is. To me, it never really looked hot. You know, it never really looked um, like the heat was very imposing for them to be in the middle of the desert. But then I thought, well, it is in black and white. So maybe that's a little bit more difficult to convey in black and white. And so they just make everything bright, you know, and that's supposed to, I guess, give you the feel. But nobody ever looked sweaty or worn out or, you know, (laughs) or like the sand was hot. Right. So, Dave, what do you think about this one? This is the final one. You've made it through the whole journey of the Ab and Costello Meet the Monsters. How are you feeling at this point? Well, um, I agree that they did uh, definitely bring it back a little bit with this one. Yeah, it was just um, a lot more fun than the previous one. They were in it. It was joke, lots of jokes, lots of gags. It was nonstop. I can say that. Um, the plot, I was a little bit lost in it. I, I didn't care too much about the, the transportation of the thing. And, you know, I, I, I get – that's probably just me that got a little confused. That happens sometimes. So I was a little bit confused, not to the point that I wasn't with the killer, but that didn't, you know, fuck up my enjoyment of the killer. Yeah, there were like a bunch of people trying to do something, and you kind of get lost in who's with who. Yeah, and all the transportation of the mummy, and this one was doing something for this reason, and this one had another motive. I yeah. wasn't 100% sure what was happening. So initially, I when I first started watching it, because of the way I felt about Jekyll and Hyde, I wasn't so sure where I was going with it. Um, it was weird because they had narration at the beginning. I was like, hmm, this is strange. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, and then the movie begins, and then I, the plot is what it was, and I'm like, hmm, I, I don't know what I'm going to think about this. But as I, I fell into it, and, um, you know, the gags were plenty and the jokes and everything else, I was fine. I, I didn't try to confuse myself too much with trying to figure out the plot. I just figured, well, I guess it's going to be kind of like the killer. And it was a little bit action adventure type, which isn't really my cup of tea. But um, the comedy was so overwhelming with a lot of it when they were on the screen then that, that it was still enjoyable. So right. I enjoyed it. Yeah, they kind of uh, dismissed a lot of shit that goes on in mummy movies. The whole thing about mummy movies, what they really – sort of like with the Wolfman, how he always focused on dying and shit – with the mummy, what they always focused on was how they were going to keep this guy going. And it was always about the tanner leaves, like whether or not he's drinking tanner leaves or whether or not, like whatever the fuck they do or the, the scrolls, the way they read shit to make him come back. to Like whatever it is, it's always focused on how they're getting him moving around and then doing tasks. In this movie, they just open the coffin and he's already awake. Mm-hmm. And just like kind of, and it's like there, there's no effort at all into, into putting reviving him in any shape way shape or form right. the, whole, the whole thing is about the medallions missing and that was never i don't think an issue medallion or whatever um 
But it was cool how they, you know, they had it and they brought it to places and people were freaking out and shit and people were trying to get it. I'll pay you this much. Oh, really? Okay. Well, then uh, I'll sell it for $15,000, you know, shit like that. That was funny. It was a nice little adventure type thing. Um, they did. They went with a couple of the gags again, like hiding behind the curtain and we're going to hit the curtain and it's going to be Abbott again, just like they did with Dr. Jekyll. That's pretty funny. Um uh, that they did the they redid the gag where they hide the bodies again when they right. hit the doctor. He's like, back up, back up, back up, <laughs> and like people are falling for the tape. Meanwhile, they're looking at Costello when they enter the room, and he's saying, "I got a gun, back up," and they they all back up, but they're looking right at. I don't even know what they thought they were listening oh, yeah, to. Yeah, that was crazy, right? <laughs> that was just so strange. It's a recording. Let's go get him. Uh, it was funny when Costello took a picture of Abbott with the dead body and then his his, his pictures in the newspaper and everyone's after him. <laughs> and that was a gag that they took from uh, Abbott Costello hit the ice. Um, there was a bank robbery and Costello took a picture of it and everyone's turned around and the only person that you could see is Abbott. <laughs> it's like, what the fuck? And uh, yeah, so they sent that off to the... To the newspaper. And then there was one really cool scene where Ab- Costello keeps doing this thing with the flute and snakes keep coming out of the Oh, pot. that's great. That's a good gag. It goes throughout the movie, too. And at the end, Abbott gets the girl. F- I was going to say, finally. finally. Yeah, right. And Costello gets a snake. She <laughs> comes out of the pot and she's just willing to make out with whoever's standing there. That was good. Yeah. Yeah. But how cool was it when he went up that rope in midair? And once again, you see, what's her name? The thing with the woman... The return of that gimmick of the woman coming after Lou, and, and you know, right. and it's and it's a fucking a dupe once again, you know, it's just it's a recurring theme. Does that happen in the other movies besides these ones, Alex? How a girl always likes Costello, not Abbott. Well, they like they like Costello, but they're always using him for something. Yeah, because he's the, he's the idiot, and he's always the he's always the uh, the the stooge. So <laughs> the stooge thing—it's an ongoing thing through all their movies, not just. These oh yeah, that's him. Fun. That's him. Okay, this, right. this is their shtick. It always has been, <laughs> and that's how he. And yeah, and he always does get the girl, but he gets the girl because the girl has an ulterior motive, and she right. knows he's the stupid one. Right. <laughs> well, that makes sense. That's why they would go to him. You know, he's easier to take advantage of. So, so that makes sense. It was funny though. <laughs> what are your favorite scenes in this movie? Uh, okay, number one, we already mentioned the dance scene. I love that. I love the whole uh, X-ray scene. I love that to death. That <laughs> makes me so happy. I love. Shake the, me up again. Shake me up again. I swear it'll be there. And the, and when they do the uh, X-ray and it says "Help me" Help. inside. <laughs> oh my god. And what about when Abbott goes? Hey, I lost a. Uh, a- tie pin can you see if it's in there (laughs) (laughs) almost a tie pin two years ago that is the greatest lie like people just like whatever that is funny shit man like how obnoxious are you dude (laughs) (laughs) there's that i love the um i love the scene where they're switching the body of the mummy out of the out of the sarcophagi and um so they replace it for the one guy. So they take the one guy and they bury him under the ground. <laughs> <laughs> and then the other mummy gets buried under the ground by the other guys before they switch. So he's trying to bury this one mummy and the other one keeps popping up and looking at him and he's hitting him in the head with the shovel. And then the other one pops up from the other side and he thinks it's the same fucking one popping up on the other side. And he's hitting it saying, I guess I didn't hit him hard enough. <laughs> yeah, you know, All that stuff, dude. I was rolling. 
It's funny, man. Oh, and he like, found the midget mummy. <laughs> He's digging the hole. Midget mummy. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> uh, what about when Costello was going to grab that chick's ass, man? When she was laying. Oh, that was what I was going to mention. I love that when um, when he first comes across that he thinks she's a real woman, and it turns out it's a statue, and or actually like a mannequin. But and he, you see him like. He's go- he raises his hand as if he's about to smack her ass, but then he just like he thinks better of it and walks away. And right. then later on, this woman is hiding, pretending to be this statue, and he actually and he raises his hand again like he's going to smack her ass this time. And then he but he ends up using his hat. But I love that scene because it's very overtly yet still subtly sexual. You know, that he's like, I'm going to smack her ass. You know? <laughs> and she kicks him. She boots him fucking 20 feet into another statue or some shit. <laughs> and it's like, why would she do that? She's giving away her fucking spot there, you know? It's like, but she doesn't give a shit. I think at that point she goes, just get these guys. Oh, no, wait, he hits the thing. And then the, uh, the medallion, right? Or is that the medallion scene? When the medallion comes out of it, yeah, you know, right? She kicks him against the wall. Yeah, then all of a sudden the medallion comes out of this pot or the mo- a, a goat's head or some shit that was there, and that's how they find it. Right, right. Yeah, that reminds me. I love that whole thing when they're in there and the, the someone's inside the lion's head oh, up on the that, wall. Yeah, <laughs> that hand comes out. The pickpockets. What, what the fuck was that? <laughs> <laughs> Fucking She's just like, oh, well, when they... When they killed that lion, he had just recently eaten someone. Yeah, they pulled the guy out. <laughs> oh, that was good. Oh, yeah, the humor in this is fucking great. So lots of one-liners. Back to that. Back to a lot of them. You know, like like the first one. The first one had a lot of them, I think. Yeah, but this um, one I think even has more than all of them combined. Right. There was a lot of white. Yeah, yeah, it was good. How about he goes fucking. Uh, how stupid can you get? She tells him. He goes, oh, how stupid do you want me to get? <laughs> <laughs> they have another joke where they say, uh, uh, oh, oh, did you ever go to school stupid? He goes, yeah, and it came out the same way. <laughs> <laughs> That's just great shit. Yeah, like the obvious only problems this movie is, like Jamie said, the fucking mummy costume. Like Jack Pierce must be rolling over in his grave. Like, when he saw that, like, the thought and care he put into Boris Karloff and and even the second guy. And I think he also worked with Lon Chaney in his Mummy movies. When you look at that compared to this fucking Party City overall shit, <laughs> it's bad. And the fact that these two could dress up as the Mummy. And, and I love how Abbott tries to play it off. He goes, look, there's just enough bandage here to make me look like the Mummy as if they're wrapping each other up here. Right. It's like, guys, we're not stupid, please. Uh, that's the one problem. But how about, like, uh, how about what do you think of the effects of this movie? Like, there's one scene where this gigantic lizard oh is chasing Oh, my God. boy. Oh, that, that was, was like, fucking, oh. You mean that like, iguana? Mm, yes, yes. <laughs> that was like those old fucking movies. Sci-fi, like, 50 sci-fi Oh, movies. my God, it was bad. It was really fucking bad. Yeah. The funny thing have, is, you can watch something now. Like a fucking sci-fi CGI thing, and it looks just as fucking bad. <laughs> yeah, you know, I would agree with that. Yeah, who would have thought? You know, look at the alligators in that movie Eraser with Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> How fucking bad could you get besides that, man? That's right? the worst. Jesus Christ, I haven't watched that movie in like ten fucking years. Yeah, right. Uh, what do you guys think? Like when that bat was flying down the hallway, did you did you keep hoping it would turn into Dracula? <laughs> like I was, I yep. was, I wanted him to fucking change. Uh, I love it. They like reference 
They reference Abbott Costello meet Frankenstein in almost every movie. Invisible Man, they say Frankenstein Dracula. In Dr. Jekyll, they're in the Wax Museum of Frankenstein Dracula. In this one, there's a vampire bat. Um, and what's the only other one? That's it. That's all. Yeah, I think it's all. Hey, guys, remember how good this one was? Yeah, right. <laughs> this is a little bit of that in here. Here we go. So uh, then you get to the big climax, which is fucking hilarious to me. I don't know if you guys found it funny. The lady th- starts shooting the mummy. And then she does the classic, well, if my bullets don't kill you, I'll throw the gun at you. (laughs) And then you get to the most hilarious shit where she takes a fucking torch and just proceeds to beat him over the head with a torch. Yeah, I'm not going to think to set his bandages on fire. No, not at all. I'm going to try to club him over the head. (laughs) (laughs) So the torch lands next to uh, TNT, which they were using to blow something up. They were going to steal... The treasure. The treasure. I think they were trying to blow up the statue to find treasure. The mummy's walking around with a gigantic thing of TNT. It's lit. Uh, They're all fucking standing there, and they're trying to talk to this thing. Like, Claris, if you do this, you'll die, and you'll bring down the entire temple with you. So the the mummy just looks at him and throws them the thing. Costello gives it to Abbott. They throw it back. The mummy just blows the fuck up. The whole temple doesn't go down like they thought. And then the treasure's there. And it just really abruptly ends. And they're like, wow. So the treasure, blah, blah, blah. And Karis is gone. And all we have left is uh, something. And then Abbott's like, well, we we can... Why don't you tell everybody about it? And we can have this keep going. He goes, how do we do that? And they open up Cafe Claris. (laughs) Right. Okay. That makes up for what just happened. That brings me to a question for you, Alex. Um... Seeing as how the mummy in this film's name was Claris, mm. and then the original mummy was Karis, do you think that was an intentional nod, or do you think someone fucked up and they meant to name him Karis, but they just they did it wrong? I believe it was a way to separate it from the world of the Universal movies. I, I think... Uh, I, I really believe these were all standalone films. As much as I like to say... It's all part of it. And as much as they tried a couple times, like an Invisible Man and shit like that, I think they really treated these as separate entities. And I think that's part of that. I agree with that. I mean, I think they were trying to to allude to it for fans, but didn't want to make it the same. Yeah, they didn't want to technically do it. Yeah. Yep. So we already talked about the ending gag. We t- They all have gags at the end. The worst one was Invisible Man in terms of making sense. The worst other one that people nobody enjoyed was uh, Doctor Jekyll. Um, in in this one, it's uh, the snakes coming up, and one's a girl, and one's a snake, and, and Abbott finally gets the chick. So that's about it. Uh, so how do we rate this one? This should be a more positive entry. So uh, Dave Z, how do you rate this? Um. Well, like I said, they they did. Uh, you know, this was a, a nice bounce back from the uh, the little hiccup that we had in the last one, in, in my opinion. Um, and it was funny. It was confusing a little bit for me. Um, for some reason, I don't have it on the same level as I... Even though it's reminiscent of The Killer to me, because of the confusion and you know a lot of jokes. It did have a lot of jokes, which was nice. Sometimes almost... It's almost that they were trying too hard with it. But, but it was fun. Uh, it was just a little, little more action that, that I'm used to, to, to watching, which is okay. It's not a bad thing. It's just, I don't have it quite as high as the others, but it, it was fun. I had a lot of fun with it, and I'd say three and a half. Okay. Jamie D. 
this was a nice return um, to the Abbott and Costello that I love and the pure comedy that I love. They had some great gags here. Um, this is one that I was familiar with already. And um, I'm going to say it's not quite as strong as, say, uh, Invisible Man for me. So I'm going to give it a four. Okay. Ryan. Uh, see, this one, this reminds me of the Abbott and Costello that I grew up watching. Okay, this reminded me of those gags they would always do. And just, it, this was more funny than the rest of them. More consistently funny, mm-hmm. we'll say. All right, so much so that there were so many gags thrown on. And like, you know, Dave said, it almost feels like it was a little forced. Like saying, the last one, we were barely in that fucking thing. So we're going to be all over the place in this thing. So that's what they did. But during the whole thing, I'm digging the shit out of it. You know, the story of it, I think, is kind of fun. You know, I love seeing them do the crazy shit they do in these fucking movies. But so uh, I'd give this one probably a four. Cool. All right. Um, <clears throat> this one, oddly enough, is the one I watch least. It's the one I consider to be an Abbott Costello meat horror monster the least. Um, probably because... It is so funny, and I think of it as the cheap one because of the lighting and uh, because of the way the mummy looks. And I feel the mummy was most out of character um, compared to... Because the whole idea about Abbott Costello meet a monster is that the monster plays it straight, and Abbott Costello are two goofball assholes, and that's not going to change just because a vampire or a monster or a, a werewolf or an invisible guy is in their room, or anything. They are who they are, and that's it. So I feel, I always feel like there's like components missing to this, to, to put it as a genuine entry. But it is, nonetheless. It's the last, and maybe those things just go in my head and, and make me feel different, which is why I watch it the least. But I think after this time around, I was so in the zone, blasting through all five of these, that uh, I was way into this. Nothing was wrong with it. I love the comedy. I am buying into the idea that the brightness is to sell the tanness of, of Egypt. And it would look cheap because it's very empty. But that's how things are in Egypt, I think. Mm-hmm. Like those empty big rooms. I mean, it, it sort of seems like they captured the feel. And even walking through the streets when they were doing the snake gags, I feel that was that's, that felt real to me. I'm going to give this um, higher than I thought I would, and I'm going to give it a, uh, a four also. Right on. So there we go. So we'll be right back to wrap up this overview of Abbott and Costello Meet the Monsters in our special Abbott and Costello Meet the Skeleton Crew. We'll be right back. This is Mr. Skin from MrSkin.com with all the skinfo from the latest movies. Nude in theaters, supermodel Emily Ratajkowski co-stars in the Ben Affleck crime drama Gone Girl. And once again, she's bearing the famous breast that made Robin thick in the video for Blurred Lines. Her shirt is gone, girl. This is the Mr. Skin Minute. Nude on Showtime, Lizzie Kaplan and Caitlin Fitzgerald doled out more terrific toplessness on the season finale of Masters of Sex. The real star of the show, however, was Breaking Bad beauty Betsy Brandt, who finally made her new debut, bearing her right pinkman. No more half measures, Betsy. Nude on Blu-ray... 
Olivia Wilde bears her beautiful boobs and butt in third person. As a journalist out to seduce a wayward Liam Neeson, Olivia shows off her rack and rump while trying to get inside his room and his pants. The third person will give you a third leg. MrSkin.com Fast forwarding to the good parts. Alright guys, it's been a great time. You know, this is the show I always wanted to do. I'm so glad I did it with you guys. Uh, I'm so glad you were all enthusiastic and into it and we all had a great time. Uh, it was fun exploring these movies on a different level. You know, we always just watched them and now we really got to see them in kind of a different way. Uh, Dave, what was it like taking this journey for the first time going in blind and wondering, man, is this going to be boring? Is this, like, How do you feel now that it's all over? Oh man, I, I feel great about it. I had such a good time with it. It was fucking. I didn't know what to expect going in. Like I said, I didn't know much about it, but man, it's, it turned me on to, to you know, to this comedy, to this pair, Eben and Costello. That now I'm gonna the other 31 movies that they did. I'm gonna check them out, and you know, I discovered something new, a comedy group that I never really thought about was this duo and never gave them a second look now now because of this it was a great introduction well, i mean what a great way to start with something horror related <laughs> of course so it worked out perfectly and uh, i'm so glad i got to do the show so so thanks again for having me again and it's uh it's thank you very much alex well, thank it, you this, this is your fucking you love abony costello you know so um you turned me on to this and uh i'm going to continue on with it but yeah it's been a great experience and uh thank you again yeah and are you gonna are, are these five movies gonna hit your regular rotation uh, i don't know about all five but definitely you know at least three say, of them maybe yeah oh yeah, yeah yeah at least three of them and i'm definitely gonna show you know some of them to my wife i don't know if she's into it at all good fun comedy good clean comedy and it's not like cheesy you know right, what i mean right. it's just it's classic comedy it's it's so well written and uh yeah I'm just. I'm, I'm glad I, I finally it took this show to turn me on to that, and whoever would have thought that? But yeah, you could share these with your daughter. I know. I was just thinking that. Yes, I can. They're clean. I can share them with her. Yes, yeah. you can. I yeah. showed them to and my son. And she would son. be a very well-rounded kid. <laughs> yeah, right. She needs that. Right. Absolutely. Don't let her grow up to be someone Jamie don't like. That's true. <laughs> Are you now kidding? Me? She's gonna grow into fucking an, an, another Jamie. Are you kidding me? Nothing <laughs> wrong with that. Perfect. Right. Uh, good answer. Jamie will pay her to listen when she's 25. <laughs> <laughs> but will she pay Jamie to listen to Jamie? <laughs> right? When we're all charging 25 years from now, because we'll be legends. So. <laughs> now, yeah, well, right. Now, right. Jamie, uh, he says this is my thing, but I. No, Jamie also. Yeah, well, I'm wondering. I don't know, because does Jamie care about all the non horror Evan Costello? Oh, yeah. I mean, I grew up on this shit. I, I was raised by my grandparents, so. Well, a, a great deal of the time. So I grew up on everything old school from comedy to just regular movies to um, – I mean I was watching black and white. Bef- okay, well, part of that was because we didn't have a color TV when it was <laughs> – <Yeah, so. laughs> everything, everything was black and white. But um, th- this is the kind of shit that I grew up on, and I've always loved them. And um, this was just – it's been a long time since I've watched these movies, but it was like going home. Cool. Yeah, and see, I, I I didn't know myself like when Dave said that I'm I'm with him. I didn't know that you this was your thing either. So that's cool to know actually, because I had no idea. Now, Ryan, what about you? Um, 
they were not just the horror thing. You you dig them either way, right? Oh, yeah. Abbott and Costello, the Stooges, all of that has been flowing through my households since childhood. You know, I grew up on this kind of stuff. And, you know, thanks to this retro here, I got to uh, see there is life outside of Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. Yeah. You know what I mean? And to me, that's still the pinnacle. But, you know, they... All these other ones are enjoyable for the most part. Even the one, you know, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, the one that I, at this point, like the least, I could still see myself going back into it because there's stuff I found funny. So I think that'll even grow on me more. So, yeah, shit, I was glad to be here, man. Cool. Yeah, thanks so much to you guys for joining me and Jamie. I mean, it's it's been great. We're really looking forward to it. As soon as, you know, me and Jamie talked about it, she was way into it. She was so She even said on the last show, let's just stop this show and get into this one. <laughs> so that's, that's enthusiasm. Yeah, and I didn't even know. I didn't even know Jamie was into it until we sat down here today. I knew it was your thing, like I said. Alex has been talking about Edmund Costello for, for a long time. So I knew this was your thing. And I said, hey, hey you're, you're telling me. You're going to love these movies. Wait till you see them. And, and I didn't know Jamie felt the same way until we sat here today. So that's that, And Ryan was a big fan of them as well. So fuck. Yeah, you know? his enthusiasm should have let me know that because – when I said that we'd love to do a show with you, um, and I, I somehow, I don't know how I figured, I guess, uh, oh, because he likes um, Universal Classics, so I just right. figured, yeah, I figured this will work. So, yeah, it's awesome. Everybody was enthusiastic. Dave had no hang-ups, even though he didn't know anything. He said, okay, yeah, sure, you know, whatever. So I think we all went in in a good frame of mind, and I think we're all better for that, and we all had a... So a show we'll never forget, you know. I, this will be a fond one to me, just like those other Universal shows are and shit like that. Uh, this is up there with the Psycho to me. I mean, it might not be as you know. People think that's like our best show. I don't know if they'll think that here. Plus, they're not as familiar with these movies, so I don't know if they'll even see it that way. Even if this was as good as that. But either way, I had a good enough time. So. What I think is what matters in my life. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we had at least one listener who's really excited. Uh, who's that? that? That were Bill. Ever since uh, he actually asked me before we knew we were going to be doing this show, when we were going to be doing it, he said, "Are you guys still going to do the Abbott and Costello thing? Because you've been talking about that, and I want you to do that before you end." And uh, and I'm like, "Yeah, as as a matter of fact, we are." And so he's really looking forward to listening to it. Nice. Yeah. Well, once again, thank you guys. It was a long friggin' show. Thanks for hanging in there. Glad we all our our enthusiasm maintained throughout, and it, it hopefully to fun listen for everybody as fun as it was for us to watch them, and hopefully you guys watched them. Don't just listen to this, man. Don't miss out. Watch them, all of them, even Doctor Jekyll. For, don't listen to these people. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Watch them all. Why not? Yeah. Yep. I mean, even if it is, ends up not being your thing, like if you're not into like physical <laughs> comedy and stuff like that, I think that this is an important basis to have because so many things uh, – Abbott and Costello have influenced so many different comedy duos throughout the years and just film in general. So many of their gags are well-known. I mean, like Dave said coming in, he knew the who's on first gag, but that may be – that may be as far as you know, but you know, if you watch these, then you'll get an idea about where a lot of other things have come from, and I think that's really important. Yeah. Know your roots, people. Yeah, yeah. Thanks again. Great time. Abbott and Costello meet the skeleton crew. So, for Jamie, Dave, and Ryan, this is Alex. Thank you all for hanging with us for this long. It's October, guys, so... Uh, Get ready for the big finales. We have a show coming up next that you will never expect and you won't even believe we're doing. 
But we did it, and uh, Dave, should we give him a little hint here? Uh, how about uh, <laughs> chicks is chicks, and I know my chicks. Banana Anna. Banana Anna, ultraviolet. People are like, what the fuck are they talking about? I'm going to look this up on Google. <laughs> Later. See ya. <laughs> Bye. Good night. Good night. <laughs> yeah, good night.